Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up what you want toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line for you. 1-800-259-9231. And it's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All of the features on the site completely free. We just give them away. So enjoy those on us at freetalklive.com as we start things out by going right into the phone calls where we can talk to Brian in Colorado on the Amplifier line. Hey, Brian. Good evening, gents. Good evening, How are you? sir. What's on your mind? Bees today. I buzz, do buzz. love bees. <laughs> uh, as, uh, we, we've talked about before, you've covered it a lot, about this uh, so-called colony collapse disorder. Where yes. Bees are just disappearing all over the world, and everybody's wringing their hands. There's a big group of uh, scientists and government researchers and academics out of the uh, University of Pennsylvania, I think. They're all trying to figure it out, and uh, I, I, as I pointed out before, that uh, it seems that everybody who has a boogeyman is blaming that boogeyman on, you know, as the cause of this uh, disorder, you know, the right. genetically modified food people, the cell phone people. Well, <laughs> while they're trying to figure it out, we who keep bees know exactly what it is. It's just an escalation of what's been happening over the past, oh, 10 or 15 years. And the, the people in the, um, the researchers are, are uh, finally listening to the people who are actually out there in the field, you know, growing bees. And, and my assumption and the assumption of all the organic beekeepers that I've talked to is that it's uh, mites. Hmm. It's these little tiny, tiny things that get into the trachea of the bee uh-huh. and, you know, kind of disorient it, make it sick. Um, and, you know, we've been fighting mites for years. Really? Are these, so, things, what, are these things so small that you can't even see them? Well, you can see it with a microscope. It's pretty amazing. You, you get this close-up of the bee with all its hair and everything, and in, inside the hair uh, that's on the body of the bee, you see this tiny little creature. It looks like a little flea, mm-hmm. and it's just so small, even on the, micro, uh, in the microscope. Are they parasites? Yeah, the parasites. Mites yeah. parasite, yeah. And they, they, they live in the trachea of the, of the bee. There's a couple different kinds of mites. But what's happened is that um, in order to increase, you know, in, in order to industrialize the bees, uh, they've, they've bred for bigger and bigger bees because right. the bigger you are, the more nectar and pollen you can, you know, bring back from your trip. Makes okay. sense. And, and so when they make the bees bigger, however, they increase the size of the trachea and give these mites a better opportunity to hang around for a while. Oh, and the bees are um, at that point they're a little more a little more inbred, and uh, you know more susceptible to the same stuff. Well, yeah, I mean the the whole idea of bees in North America is, is foreign. I mean they're they're not native American. Neither are horses. Hmm. Uh, bees were brought in by the Europeans. Uh, there were no bees here before. All everything was um, was uh, uh, done with uh, butterflies and other you know. I see. I consider what you but say might might very well be blasphemous. What do you mean, Mark? Well, I don't know. <laughs> it's the so, idea so that bees not, might not have been in North America. I don't know. What what, what we're doing is uh, we have this thing in our in our honeycomb, the honeycomb plate, the thing that they start off, and it's just a pressed piece of wax. Uh-huh. And what beekeepers have been doing is making the cones, the honey, honeycomb, bigger and bigger and bigger. You know that six-sided thing, mm-hmm. and the, the bees just build out from there. And that's what's causing them to get bigger. And you know, honey output is uh, is increasing and all that. So what we're doing, and a lot of other organic beekeepers are doing, is uh, there is a new kind of comb. It's actually it's the same stuff. It's just smaller. And so the bees will make that. They'll put their egg in there, 
and the bee can't get as big because it's growing up as an embryo inside of this little honeycomb. I gotcha. see. And yeah, so and they, they, if they, more people were to adopt the smaller bee method, then they might actually keep their bee populations alive as opposed to losing them to the mites. Yes, that's exactly what we're seeing. Is the, 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 more, the, the more of these smaller bees you make, the more of them come back, come back home every night and you know, go out again. Now, um, could you explain to me the difference between a bee and a yellow jacket? Is a yellow jacket uh, a wasp? Yeah, it's, they all fly. I don't know anything about yellow jackets, but they're not anywhere near the same thing. Okay, because I've seen uh, these um, since I've been in New Hampshire. I've moved from Florida, where we have you know just regular bees, um, sort of gold and black. And up here to New Hampshire, they have these mostly black things with some yellow on them that but are fuzzy. And uh, I thought maybe you could uh, try to you know just checking out a little of the fauna here. So well, if if they if they come after you unprovoked. It's not a bee. Yes. Uh, yeah, bee, bees are vegetarian. They don't even like you. They'll defend their hive. They can sense your carbon dioxide. No, nothing. Yellow jackets and, and wasps, they, they're meat eaters, and so they, they like to eat you. I haven't ever noticed uh, any stinging insect actually come after me. Um, you know, I, I generally try to ignore them, and, and I figure that they're going to do the same. Well, yellow jackets tend to hang around barbecues and places where you're, uh, you know, burning meat. They, gotcha. they, they, they come from that, that rotting meat smell. The fastest I've ever run in my life is when I'm running from bees. Yeah, if if, <laughs> if uh, wasps or uh, bees, if stinging insects knew um, how much humans fear them, they would rule the world. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't, fortunately. Brian, uh, is there anything else that uh, you wanted to share tonight? Well, just a, a little trivia. Uh, did you know, I know, Mark, you like honey. Uh, did you know that uh, a pound of honey takes 75,000 miles of bee trips to make? Wow, that's a lot of bees working hard to get me a pound of honey. Yeah. They Amazing. do it, though. Brian, thanks for the call. We appreciate hearing from you. 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. In fact, uh, you actually had an email, Wayne, um, that I guess was in regards to Brian's son? Uh, yes. Actually, uh, about a week ago, he emailed me about uh, his, his son who goes to government schools. And it was really interesting. I have to pull it up here. Uh, maybe I could do it after the break. I don't have it right in front of me. Mm-hmm. But uh, the teacher basically started going off about all the different undesirable types of government, one being fascism, one being socialism. And then she got into capitalism. And what was interesting about that is that obviously she didn't really know what capitalism was. She was really mistaking capitalism for mercantilism. All right. I'll mm-hmm. let you pull that up here in a little bit. Um, I'll go to my email box here and from Steve. He says, this recent business with the media institutions trying to sideline Ron Paul has gotten me thinking. What can we do to fight back? Talking about it helps, and Free Talk Live's success in, is in spreading the message, but I don't think it's enough. I it don't won't, think it's either. It won't be enough to get Ron Paul into the presidency, and in the case that it, that it is, and I don't think it is at all, uh, he'll be surrounded with enemies who wouldn't mind knocking him off or putting him in a metaphorical cage of legal speak, preventing him from actually doing anything. The cost of being a media outlet has been shrinking drastically over the past few decades, but there's still a great need for money if you or me or any others like us hope to make a real difference. Money to create and grow an infrastructure to hire talented people to form effective, uh, more effectively, to more effectively circumvent the barriers placed before us. Money with no strings attached and a lot of it. Where will it come from? Thinking about the kinds of people and institutions we're going up against, it seems almost correct to give up. We're going up against an army of spinsters, the kind of people who won't even listen to us, who will sideline and stonewall, and if that fails, they'll demonize us. 
They'll make their viewers hate us so that they don't listen to us either. They'll call us anarchists and terrorists and radicals. They'll wave their certificates and diplomas and titles in the air while screaming this message, each one louder than the ones before it. The righties will call us lefties, and the lefties will call us righties. Uh, let's see. Righties will call us lefties. But until no one will, uh, until no one but us few will understand the definition of the word liberty. What can we do with this? How can we spin this? Slow and steady may win the race, and your success reflects that pattern. But liberty needs a trump card if it is to make any kind of splash. If the government wants to make its people fear its enemies, how do we make those same people fear their own government enough to reject it, but not enough to make them give up? To follow uh, to someone like me, a new recruit, apprentice of the arts of information, writing, video, sound, photography, speech, what directive am I to follow? All I can do now is watch. When I speak, no one listens. I, have already, I already have my cameras and my microphones, my keyboard and pen, but who am I supposed to point them at? I can pick them up and hold them with confidence now, but I still find myself not contributing to the only cause that I want to contribute to. So this young gentleman is uh, he's frustrated. You know, he, he doesn't feel like there's enough sort of liberty media out there and he's wondering, I guess, you know, what can, can he do uh, personally to help affect all this, to help move things forward? To Got some ideas? Maybe add something to it. Sure. 800-259-9231. Continue his email and take your thoughts. You know, what is, uh, obviously it's not enough yet. All of the, there's some liberty media out there, but not very much. And we can count it on one hand pretty much. So what's the next step? Is there something that we're missing? This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up whatever you want toll free at 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll free line for you. 1-800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com, where all the features are completely free. Archives included an entire year's worth of the show right there on the front page of the website for your downloading convenience at freetalklive.com. And the Free State Project's Porcupine Freedom Festival, better known as Porkfest, is June 18th through the 24th. At Porkfest, you'll be able to talk with New Hampshire natives and those who've made the move, as well as tour New Hampshire on special Free State Project bus tours or on your own. Finally, you'll also be able to hear and discuss the progress in the future of the Free State Project. Register today at porkfest.com. That's P-O-R-C-F-E-S-T dot com. As we continue an email from Steve, Steve is uh, pointing out that he's got the ability to create some media because, as he rightly, uh, rightfully pointed out, the bar for entry, the barriers for entry to media creation in this day and age, are very, very low. If you can afford uh, a few thousand dollars, you can get yourself your own digital video camera, a computer to edit video with, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, you've know you got everything that you need, pretty much, a little bit of software, uh, to, to crank out your own video content. Right. Same thing with audio. It's even cheaper with audio. You need a microphone and a mixer. Uh, so and 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 anybody so it's within pretty much anybody's reach anybody well, who's that's even the content you need still it. need the uh, media venue um, of of some sort but you know at, at the you know, YouTube at least is a media venue and and some people will see it especially if you uh you know manage to grow your list somehow you email out hey new video out entertaining blah 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 I mean sure. entertainment really is the key look at Ask a Ninja. You know, I mean, oh, yeah, it's it's huge. And it was just some guy who dresses up like a ninja in front of a, t- a TV camera. And 
answers silly que- questions in a silly manner. Uh, and people, you know, tens of thousands of people watch it. Right. Yeah. Um, it's. I think that's one of the more popular video podcasts mm-hmm. out there. And so nowadays it's really within – it's easily within people's reach. And the media distribution is getting better and better. YouTube didn't exist, what, three years ago? Four years ago? It wasn't even around. And so that's really lowering the barrier of entry as well because – before now, it would have been a little bit cost prohibitive. You could put a video up on your website, but if it got popular, then you'd run out of bandwidth within, I mean, if, for instance, if it got farked and it got put up on fark.com, then thousands of people would go at once to go and watch your video and you, you, your site would crash. But now YouTube's got the, uh, they have the bandwidth, they've got the storage capability to where your movie won't cost you anything to distribute anymore. And, uh, I mean, as long as you've got the rights to it, you can put it up on, on YouTube, and they'll rebroadcast it unending amount of times. Mm-hmm. Things, that can, things that get popular on YouTube, you didn't have to pay a dime for them to see it, except for whatever costs that you put into uh, to producing it originally. So this is all good news for the Liberty Movement. But Steve is kind of, he's a little bit, he's in a sort of this place of a little bit, a zone of confusion over what to do. He's got all this equipment, and he doesn't quite know what to well, do with it. Now, he sounds like um, one of those guys that's more comfortable behind the camera rather than in front of it. That's what it sounds like. And um, those guys, man, if you've got the equipment and the time and the, and the inclination, they can be very powerful. I've met quite a few of them um, that are, you know, they're putting together projects that, um, you know, doc- documentary type films, that kind of thing that, uh, you know, when people see them, they'll be, you know, they'll be they'll draw a certain conclusion, a liberty oriented conclusion. And these things are done well. I, you know, it, it can right. Be a we big had deal. Uh, just for I mean, for, for two examples, we had the guys from a candid world come in here and actually shoot some footage of us uh, doing the show for this documentary they're making about the Free State Project. And uh, so that's really cool. That's something they just decided to do on their own. The Free State Project didn't hire them to do that. It's just something they're doing. Uh, Danny Ladone, the programmer of the Columbine game, Columbine uh, Super Columbine Massacre RPG, he's doing his own documentary on free speech and, and uh, in video games. And he once again came and interviewed Free Talk Live. So that's how we know about these. Right. Is they, they came to us. But, you know, just two examples of independent filmmakers around the country that are just doing their own thing, putting their message out there. And there are other ones as well. So I I can't really give you an idea, Steve, or anyone else who's looking for an idea. I don't have them. I do a radio show every day, and that's what I think about. Right. Those are are where the ideas go. (laughs) You know, I have a feeling it's somewhat like writer's block, you know, where you've got that blank page in front of you, and you agonize over what to put on that page. Uh that's the tricky part. You know, once you get that inspiration, you'll have no doubt what you need to do. That's the key right there. And, and in the past, with the, a lot of the creative work I've done, sometimes you just need to go out and take a walk. And you just have to keep asking yourself every day, okay, what can I do? What can I do? And, and then let go of it and, and let something come in. And it always does. It might be someday you're walking on the beach and something comes to you. You see somebody, gives you an idea. You just have to be open to it. And sooner or later, something will come to you that is really unique and, and you'll be really inspired. It'll be your idea and you can run with it. Exactly. So I don't know when that's going to happen for Steve, but I figure the, you know, the more he plugs into this movement, the more ideas he might be able to come up with. And, of course, there's certainly a lot of uh of things to cover here in New Hampshire 
you know, I don't know if you, I don't know if you're going to make money off of this, Steve. That may, that's a whole different story. It, it may be a labor of love for you. I mean, uh, we've been doing Free Talk Live for five, almost five years now, and just now is it really starting to actually bring something in as far as money is concerned? Right. I mean, so you know, that's, that's kind of how that is. You're probably just going to have to do it because you love the idea of getting the message out, uh, spreading uh, spreading freedom as far as wide as yeah. you can. Um, so, you know, look for that inspiration, and I like what you said, just run with it when it when it comes to you. But also, maybe come up here to New Hampshire to get inspired, because there's a lot of really inspirational people up here. You've got people like Russell Canning and Lauren Canario out, you know, doing these exciting protests that they're doing. Of course, there's more dry political stuff going on. I don't know how entertaining that sort of thing would be for television, but... I bring cameras out to the uh, the protests that I go to simply because I have one, and I know that the more cameras are there, the, the safer our activists are from police harassment and that sort of thing. So that's my primary reason for having a camera out there, but also to document. I don't have the time to edit the footage, so I usually just turn my tape over to somebody else. So, you know, it's getting to the point where here in New Hampshire, or at least here in Keene, I don't know about the other areas, here in Keene, we've got enough media-oriented liberty activists, and we could use more, for sure, but we've got enough of them to where people can delegate responsibility to an extent. Like, I can go out and shoot footage of an event, and I don't have to worry about spending the time editing that footage, because that's a time-consuming task that I just don't have time for. I don't want to spend my time doing that. But that's okay, because there are at least two people in this town that I can, maybe three, three people that I can hand that footage to, and they'll take it, and they'll add it into the footage they might have, mm-hmm. and uh, they'll put it together and edit up a, a segment from it. Like I shot some, uh, shot some footage of Russell Canning protesting uh, for the, this tilting at windmills event that he did. Or actually, no, it was footage that I shot of, I've shot so much footage, uh, it was the footage I shot of the protest outside of the courthouse when Russell was in jail. I uh, handed it over to the guys at Free Minds TV, they turned it into a five-minute segment for their show. Which, you know, that gives them extra content that they don't have to create. They didn't have to send somebody out to shoot that footage. And so it takes a little bit of the the work off of their backs, gives them something fresh to put on the air on their show, and everybody benefits. So I say get here to where you can meet up with other people who have similar talents as you. That way maybe you can brainstorm a little bit. If you're having trouble getting that inspiration, maybe you can work off of one another and inspire each other. Right. Yeah, I, today I was playing uh, racquetball with uh, Varen Swearingen, the president of the Free State Project, <clears throat> and he beat me handily uh, twice. <laughs> it was awful. Uh, anyway, uh, you know, I, we were just talking about FSP things, and uh, you know, we were bouncing some ideas back and forth, and I think we both got some ideas on how the Free State Project could get uh, membership moving a little faster. Absolutely. 800-259-9231 is the toll-free number. You can take control of the airwaves. This is Free Talk Live. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up what you want toll-free at 800-259-9231, the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are totally free, including the wiki, wiki.freetalklive.com. Over 1,300 pages of unique content created by... Well, listeners just like you. It's like the listener editable version of our website. See what I mean? By heading over to wiki.freetalklive.com. That's W-I-K-I 
www.freetalklive.com. We're in the midst of an email from Steve, and then uh, we're going to go to yours, Wayne, here in a moment. But uh, just to finish up some thoughts here, Steve is concerned about he's got all this talent uh, in producing like video footage and that sort of thing, and he's just not sure how to put it to use. He doesn't have any inspiration to get out there and create something new. He also says he thinks that, uh, and I think eventually he'll find that, and I think he'll find it faster if he comes to, uh, to New Hampshire as part of the Free State Project. But he seems to, he says that he wants a trump card. He wants something that's going to, to make a splash. And I don't know that in the era of decentralized media that there is such a thing as a trump card. I, I don't know about that. There are viral videos that make a, you know, that definitely make a splash online. But is something like that really going to turn people around and change minds instantaneously? I don't think so. I mean, changing minds is something that takes time. It's something that takes consistent effort, consistent message, uh, people hearing it over and over again. Now, uh, well, let's 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 take a uh, look at a viral um, video out there that was produced relatively low cost. Um, it had, uh, but it was really good quality, and it had a. Uh, it had uh, a motivating message. Okay, which one? Um, cheap trick. What's the name of it? Uh, loose change. That what, video. The, the conspiracy video. Look, it's getting mentioned all over in media everywhere. Mm-hmm. I don't care whether what it says is true or not. Um, none of that matters to me. What matters to me is that you're looking at it from that point of view. It's um, it's got a motivating message and it's. Well, reasonably well produced. Uh, okay. It was cheap, but it's reasonably well produced. So, you know, people could watch it, enjoy it. Uh, the entertainment value was there. And at the same time, um, you know, it had a motivating message and, and got people to show other people and to who showed other people and, and, and yeah. on it went. So, you know, I think that if we just put enough stuff out there that at some point something's going to be good enough. Something will catch. Yeah. Uh, you might be right. I just don't know if I... Maybe you're maybe you're right. Maybe I'm completely wrong, and that uh, in de- in this decentralized uh, media format that we have today in the in this world, that maybe things can make a bigger splash than they than they have in the past. I mean, I, it just doesn't seem like you know without the the big media outlets out there to promote your video at this point that that it's going to uh, to do a whole lot. I mean, I, I guess I'm talking about his trump card idea. Yeah, I'm not saying there can't be things that catch fire and 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 get popular. I just don't know if there's a trump card. I don't think there's one video out there that's going to be produced that's going to be the the determining factor in changing Americans to a pro-liberty mindset. I just don't think that that's just the case. I'd love to be changing proven them wrong. to a pro-liberty mindset. I might give you that one because it just it it takes so much to unravel um, all that we've been. Uh, Brainwashed right. I mean, with there's there has yet to be a real good you know hour and a half two hour long documentary sort of document or at least I haven't seen it documenting the uh, the rise of of tyranny in America and the uh, the lo- the loss of liberty in freedom America. To fasc- freedom to fascism is a pretty good example, and I think that if there's if something has a chance of catching fire, it's that one. People it are has. trying. It has. You know, being someone who worked in front of the camera, I've often thought about unique characters that one could create to simulate or teach teach things. There's been a lot of people in the past who have done... Remember Ernest P. World? Remember that character? Yeah. Yeah. He, he's uh, Jim Varney. Jim Varney. Yeah, he, he's passed away now, but he developed this character just for fun, and he did TV commercials with it, but you could take any character like that and, and promote a message of liberty with it if, if, if the character is likable. Yeah, I don't think anyone's ever really created a. I, I know there have been liberty-oriented characters created for books, like uh, you know Atlas Shrugged and books like that. 
but they haven't really translated at least so far to the big screen. They haven't really translated to. I mean, yeah, you've got St- South Park out there with liberty themes. You've got, of course, um, non-fictional shows like Penn and Teller's BS and John Stossel. But as far as a fictional character is concerned, I I can't think of anything. And you mentioned America: Freedom to Fascism. Once again, like like Loose Change, that's another movie that's it certainly made a splash. I wouldn't call it a trump card, though. I wouldn't call that a trump card. What would be a trump card? Though? I don't know. Okay. I, that's why I say I don't know if there could be this mm-hmm. concept of a trump card. I'd like to hear what you think, though. At eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one, his final thoughts. Uh, he says that. Nietzsche was a libertarian. Quote, the state is the coldest of all cold monsters. Coldly it lies, too, and this lie creeps from its mouth. I, the state, and the people, unquote. If that kind of message can be co-opted and redirected to the point where both socialists and nationalists use it to justify themselves, what is our hope? What is our hope when most people don't even comprehend what liberty is? P.S., According to, uh, and I think there's hope, by the way. I think there's plenty of I hope. Too. I think that people, when they hear this message, um, they might be shocked when they first hear it, some of them, but inevitably it works its magic on them. Liberty mm-hmm. has a an infectious, uh, it's got an, a very infectious quality to it, and it's a positive sort of an infection. You, you hear the message, and you want to hear more. You want to understand it. You want to get it. You want to wrap you, your mind around and it. And once you get the principle of it, it has a tendency, especially if you are engaged in uh, like something like Free Talk Live, engaged daily in the listening, um, listening to the messages and applying it in all aspects of life, mm-hmm. then it has a tendency to creep into all those aspects. Um, right. You know, I, you can you can listen to old archives of Free Talk Live and uh, hear how my thought process and Ian's thought process has changed throughout the years sure. on different issues. But it wasn't an overnight thing, nope. and I think that's the important thing. That's why I say there's no there's no trump card that's all of a sudden going to change America into a, a liberty-loving populace in a week's time. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. I know that's that's not what Steve wants. He wants that immediate gratification. He wants something to, to happen tomorrow that's going to work its magic on all of the American population. We've got the right message. We do, uh, because it's right to not use force on others. It's right to not initiate force, uh, and there's no doubt about that. And once people do get the principle mark, then there there's no turning back. I mean, who co- who goes back from being a libertarian? Uh, there was one guy that claimed it, but I didn't really believe he was a libertarian in the first place. I, I, it would be dif- difficult for me to imagine. Well, you know, uh, the debates uh, last week, the Republican debates show that uh, Ron Paul won overwhelmingly in all the MSNBC polls. So mm-hmm. obviously the message and ABC. of yeah, and ABC too, and a few others. So obviously the message of liberty is is catchy. And if they hadn't allowed him to be in the debates, of course, you just would have had all those empty suits blabbering at each other mm-hmm. and and with with no substance. But he was the substance in that, and, and, and it was liberty he was he was talking and about. And that's the point that I would like to um, I would like to make to the, uh, the email. What was the name? Steve. Steve. The, the the wanting to get it all done tomorrow is a great prescription for failure, um, because when you don't get it done tomorrow, then you're going to be sad, um, burnt it, out, throwing the towel. The Libertarian Party started in 1971. And since then, what have you know? Look at the, all the accomplishments that we've got. Now, now there's all kinds of libertarian media out there. We can name quite a few: John right. Stossel's at ABC, Penn and Teller. Talk, yeah, Penn and Teller's on the radio. Free Talk Lives on the, or Penn and Teller was on the radio. Um, they're on television now. There's there's all kinds of media out there currently. Uh, Ron Paul is running for president on the under the Republican ticket. He's as libertarian as they come out there in the the political um, as far as politicians go. Mainstream. It, I, you know, there's been a lot of um, success along the way, and it's been 
35 years. You know, he points out that slow and steady does win, uh, slow and steady wins the race, and I agree with that. Mm-hmm. And we were certainly steady at what we're doing. But I think it, that he's also ignoring a critical factor, and that is um, saturation point. Uh, there's a certain critical mass that will be mm. reached at a certain point. And right now, you know, you've named a few of the, mute, uh, the libertarian media outlets, and there will be more because, again, this is a positive message. It's something that's going to, to be infectious. People are going to pick it up. It Steve's going to get Steve. out there. Right. <laughs> Steve's going to get out there. He's going to get inspired. He's going to create some liberty media. Liberty media is being created right now. And they're all going to be. They're all going to um, like add to this sort of tidal wave that's going to be forming, and it's going to you know wash up against the American populace, and it's going to wash again. I mean, as each new um, media comes out for people to consume, more and more creators are going to be putting out content for people to find. They're going to find something that suits them, a, a video production that's just their style, a radio show that's just their style that has this message. And I think the critical mass thing is is right on. Yeah, me yeah. too. Um, and so that's the question. The question is, when will we reach that point of critical mass, that point of saturation where people have heard this message and have been given the opportunity to understand it? More on the way. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line, and it's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. Join us online, freetalklive.com. All the features for free. We do ask you voluntarily support the show by buying some stuff at our store. Head over to store.freetalklive.com and browse through our lovely Free Talk Live merchandise. It's high-quality stuff. We are not selling crap at uh, at this store. You won't be disappointed. Store.freetalklive.com. Brand new stuff for sale. The pre-order phase still going on. The ultra-popular Free Talk Live 2-gigabyte limited edition multi-gadget. We're limiting to 100 of these things. Uh, they're 60 bucks a piece. And they're 2-gigabyte MP3 players, flash drives, they're FM tuners, they're voice recorders, all in one device. And it's got our logo on it. Amazing. Yeah, it's it's a hell of a... You really can't beat that price. Uh, so get that and uh, grab some of our uh, our clothing merchandise, like the Free Talk Live Ladies T-shirt, the new Free Marketeer shirt, two different types of hoodies. We've got the new Free, uh, Free Talk Live beanie cap, as well as the Free Talk Live lighter bottle opener combo. Those are all our brand new items, and uh, I'm not even mentioning our older items. So head over to store.freetalklive.com. We're talking about libertarian media, the state of libertarian media, and the state of libertarian media is... There's not enough. That's pretty much the state right now. But mm-hmm. there's more than there ever was in the past. And that's a good thing. And it's on the increase. And and uh, we were just talking about the point of critical mass, the point of saturation, which is the point at which where, where an idea has saturated the population to the, to the extent where a certain percentage knows about and is familiar with that idea. Now, I don't remember what that percentage is. I think it's 10% or something like that, 10 to 15%. So once you know a certain percentage of the population is familiar with libertarianism, because a certain percentage has heard the term, but they don't know what it means. No, I wouldn't think so. And right. there's still a large chunk of people that don't even know what the term is. They've never even come across it. More and more people are hearing the term, but unfortunately they're hearing it from people that are mislabeling themselves libertarians, like Glenn Beck, for instance, a national talk show host, that, you know, these guys, they want to 
separate themselves from Rush Limbaugh, so they just label themselves something else and then go on promoting their neoconservative message or whatever it is. Right. That they're the, he, he just uses the. He's just used the term. Right. And um, then you know when he talks about talks to libertarians, actual libertarians on the air, he'll say he say, say things like, "You want to legalize marijuana? You people scare me." And, you know, it may not be the term libertarian that ends up reaching the point of saturation. It ju- just might be the concepts of liberty in general. Right. You know, instead of somebody thinking, um, you know, trying to choose between, oh, let's have this uh, big social welfare program that we start, or let's have this big militaristic um, expedition that we start. Well, maybe we could think about not doing either and, uh, you know, getting rid of the growth of government or actually shrinking the size of government. That's right. Exactly. In the last 80 to 100 years, the, the weeds of socialism and big government and anti-liberty ideas have taken root so the people don't even really know what liberty is anymore. But since our, our founders were so well-versed in that, that, you know, we have those roots. So I think to turn it back the other way is not going to be that difficult, not as nearly as difficult as, as the forces of the anti-freedom of people in the last 100 years or so. That's a good point. I mean, it, it, it's very incre- it was brought on very incrementally, slowly, like weeds growing in a field. I, I think that's a good point, though. Though a lot of kids these days are completely oblivious to, you know, the the liberty-oriented his, uh, history of this country. I guess they they get a little bit of it in government high school, just the bare bones concepts. Uh, but nonetheless, I, I agree with that. I think it it will be easy to turn this around, uh, easier than if we were in, you know, communist China, for instance. That's a hell of a job. Yeah. But that point of saturation is really important to reach, and the more media, the more voices we have out there um, spouting off the pro-liberty mindset, the pro-liberty message, the better off we're going to be. The more uh, dis- the more well-distributed the message will be, and the more widely understood it'll be, and eventually it'll become... You know, there, I, I was looking for a, a famous quote. I don't remember who the original person was that said it, in the, and I'm going to have to paraphrase it because I couldn't pull it up. But basically, uh, maybe it was Gandhi... But basically it says, uh, says, you know, first they ridicule you, then they laugh at you, and then they reject you. And I don't know if I have it in the right order. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> there's a certain order here. And then it's accepted as fact, your, your viewpoint. And so we're at one of those stages. I think we're, you know, depending on who you are and your, what, you're, what you're doing, you're at a certain one of those stages. But eventually people will accept this as fact. Like, it's, it's, it'll be the same sort of a uh, paradigm shift for the population as ending slavery was. And, in fact, it's going to be the same paradigm shift because that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to end slavery again. It never really went away. That's right. It's just the uh, Amen. The, the more overt methods of slavery, they went away. The NASA with the whip and the, you know, the cotton fields, that's gone. But slavery's still here because if somebody's taking a percentage of your income, whether you're white or you're black or you're Chinese or whoever you are, if someone is taking a percentage of your income, I don't care if it's 50% or 1%, you are that much a slave to that other person. That's right. And in this case, it's the government that's taking that percentage of, of income. Not only are they taking your percentage of income, they're taking your time as well by mandating that you fill out all their silly forms and their paperwork and mandating that you jump through hoops. You want to go and have a protest, you've got to get a protest permit. Mandating that you, know, you do certain things that you may not want to do. Mandating that you not do certain things that you may want to do, like smoke marijuana, for instance, or uh, go out and ride a bike with, uh, with no helmet on taking risks, go and eat foods with trans fats, go and, you know, whatever, uh, smoke some cigarettes. 
These are all things that the government controls. And to the extent that the government controls these things, you are a slave. So really, we're once again fighting the, the battle against those who would enslave us. It's an epic battle, right. it really is. And whenever anything free is offered by government, whether it's free health care, free education, you owe them, man. They own you. Mm-hmm. So that's what we've got to stop. That's the trick, is, is helping Americans understand the, the system of slavery, very subtle slavery that has been set up, helping them reject it because they've, they've tacitly accepted it. Americans have accepted slavery as a fact of life without even realizing that that's what they've said okay to. They Amazing. know that it's bad. They know it's bad when they get their pay stub, if they even look at it. Most Americans are so uh, angry about taxes that they just try to not even look at them. Well, why look at all the other confusing numbers on your paycheck when there's only one that counts? Right, but when they see those numbers, they're bummed out. You know, Julia gets a paycheck for uh, would have been $800, but after taxes, it's $600. That's a significant chunk of, of income that she could be doing some really positive things with in her life, but right. she doesn't have to, to, to do that. And that's, it affects every single American. But most Americans don't really, real, don't really see that for what it is. It doesn't incense them enough to, to do something about it. So that's part of what we're doing. Finally, Steve says, Ian, according to, the stu- uh, to your website, it took you five years until you were 22 before you created Free Talk Live, one of the very few long-running, liberty-geared media outlets that we have. Uh, he says, I'm soon coming up on that 22 mark myself, and I won't be happy until I've created something as well. What did it take in terms of emotional and mental maturity, as well as skills and people, to make something like this happen for you? Whoa. That's a, a Free Talk Live is an amazing little... Uh thing that happened in the in the world i mean you you just you had told me what was it two years before free talk live happened maybe a year and a half um that your dream was to be a talk radio host so i mean there you had a dream and it was very specific uh, you know and i happened to talk to the general manager of the radio station that we were at once the the station you were on at the time you were on a rock and roll station once it, and then it switched over to a talk station you were on there just a, as board monkey for about a year right yeah and I had happened somewhere in that year's time to talk to the general manager and kind of planted the seed that, you know, you said that you wanted to do this. Then you brought a, uh, a, Did a, a demo at air check right. and uh, you gave it to him and and he gave you, oh, the least desirable slot on the uh, the, the, the time time slot that they possibly could. Sunday night at uh, 7 to 10 p.m. It wasn't long 11. after that we went weeknights. And, to, to, uh, well, that, that next day, you know, they basically offered us the weeknight slot. It just took yeah. a little while um, to make it happen. And then we went weeknights. And, you know, um, to make it a business, we happen to have – you have technical skills. You can make all those wires um, go in the right holes. And, <laughs> and you can make all those flashing lights in those boxes over there. Um, you know, flash the way they're supposed to. Right. And, you know, I also um, came from the radio sales side. So between us, besides being talk show hosts, we are talk show engineers and talk show salespeople. Managers. And, 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 and so we run our own business, and, and that's been very helpful. Um, you know, but it's taken a lot of, uh, you know, it's taken a lot of time more so than anything else, and mm-hmm. it's taken effort. And I think that that the vision is really important part. You've got to know what you want in order to get it. You're not just not going to just stumble into an opportunity to uh, to have your own television <laughs> show or to, you know, and, and if you do find an opportunity, then it's it's important to seize that opportunity, uh, carpe diem, so to speak, mm-hmm. and and uh, and take action on it. You know, I wanted to be a talk show host, but just sitting around in a to- in a studio being a, a Radio board monkey wanting to be a talk show host doesn't do anything to get you there. You have to to uh, to make those opportunities happen for yourself. Same thing with television. You know, you've got to get out there and cr- um, churn.
churn out that content, get it out into, into people's hands. It's not an easy process, and it's not going to be a rewarding process in the beginning necessarily, except in you know mental uh, reward. You're not you're not going to get loaded down with cash, so expect that. Hour two's coming up. It's Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up what you want via the toll-free number, 800-259-9231, the SACL-CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com, all the features we give them away. So enjoy those. They're on us. That, once again, is freetalklive.com. Let's go straight into the phone calls and talk to Joseph in Massachusetts. You're on Free Talk Live. Hey, Joe. Hey. Hey. Um, just to divert a little bit, um, I heard Mark had a TV show. That's yes. correct. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, I'm just wondering how I could watch that. Is that online or something? Well, we're we're, we're working on it. Uh, first, um, you know, the the first episodes aired, the second episodes aired, and uh, I have to get the CD from the uh, station. Um, they they have to keep it um, so that they can air it again and again. And uh, now they're prepared to give me the first uh, show, and I sort of have to get the uh, producer who's in charge of that to. Uh, right, we're sort of um, we're we're holding Mark's hand and helping him understand how to uh, convert video and upload it. So Mark's going to be handling all the behind-the-scenes stuff on, on that particular end of things. And it's probably my bad for even mentioning it, but gosh, it was exciting and new, and I thought it was important to, to yeah, talk I about. definitely want to see it. So we'll get it out there. You'll, you'll hear about it. As soon as the first episode's available, we'll announce it on the show. Okay? And it looks so handsome, okay. too. That'd be great. Joseph, anything else? Um, that, that's it. Thanks for the call, man. Thanks. 800-259-9231. I told you our listeners were chomping at the bit for I that, Mark. Wa- I know they want to see it. All right, so we'll get that out there as soon as we can. All right, Wayne, last hour you mentioned that you had an email uh, in regards to or from uh, Brian's son, Brian from Colorado, who calls the show from time to time. His son had gotten into, I guess, uh, some conflict of some sort, uh, an intellectual conflict with his, uh, what, history teacher or something like that? uh, uh, Actually, it's sociology or social studies. Okay. Uh, What's the latest? uh, His son was telling him that his social studies teacher had said in class that the three worst economic systems were communism, socialism, and capitalism. (laughs) Okay, now hold on. The worst, these, uh, (laughs) communism, socialism, and capitalism are the three worst um, economic systems. What's the best? Yeah, what what else is there? Well, well, of course, there's mercantilism, which is what she's confusing capitalism with, but we'll get to that. And so this gave him a great lead-in. He told him about how the word socialism had been corrupted by dictators like Mao and Stalin and others. And Hitler. Yeah, and Hitler. And they call it communism as in common or commune, each of which are based on the importance of the community over the individual. Uh, He told his son that communism was really a dictatorship with the the dictators hiding behind the theory of selflessness, which is a great way to put it. So, um, you know, essentially what she's teaching is... It's bad, you know. These these three forms of government, in the way that they have been practiced up to mm-hmm. this point, are bad. Yeah. And okay. capitalism is a form of government. Right. That's true. It's an economic system. Right. So anyway, then he talked about socialism, which is really communism in its pure and academic form, and he told the son that socialism in a laboratory setting and even in small groups seems to work. At least some people claim it does. I don't know about that, man. I mean, have you ever been to a commune? Yes. Doesn't look like it works so well. I mean, it's functional, like their power bill's still on, but, but the, the whole cleaning the house thing, they don't seem to really uh, 
be so good at all that. Well, yeah, it's about sharing and equality. And as long as everyone picks up and does their work, it's okay. But when people start goofing off, it can deteriorate very quickly. And obviously in a larger society, that happens. Yeah, it seems to me that the uh, the more people are involved in the commune, the worse <laughs> the right. worse it's going to get. It's one thing to to have an agreement between two or three people. It's another thing to uh, to have an agreement between twenty people. Well, a family is sort of a commune in a way. Husband and no, wife. No, I wouldn't say so. Or maybe well, husband and wife. Then you've got a partnership. Yeah. And uh, and, and those partners dictate the uh, rules to the uh, the children the, aren't the children. <laughs> yeah, the children don't have an equal share in that. They have to play by whatever rules. Uh, well, when they get older, but I mean, on a farm, in the old farms, when they had eight kids, yeah, the, the kids were the underlings in a sense, but when they get older, they took over the farm and became now, right. equal partners. Now, why is um, why could you not have a uh, communal arrangement between two people? I mean, the, theoretically, you you you, I mean, you could a partnership is a communal arrangement to some, I guess so. to some no, no, it doesn't have to be. Like for instance, you and I are partners, but we have a system set up where we are uh, kings of our billowack, as it yeah. were. Um, so, you know, one could arrange different things, and that's how marriages have a tendency well, to if, be, Well, if too. communism or socialism or whatever, we'll call it communism, uh, if communism were to ever work, it would have to be done on a voluntary basis. And that's, you know, that's the critical difference is, are people getting together and uh, working on a farm together on a, a voluntary basis, or are they being coerced? Are they being forced at gunpoint uh, to work on this farm? The first, right. the first choice is okay. I wouldn't choose it for myself. But uh, the second choice is absolutely just despicable. And some of the, some of the voluntary communes you've seen across the U.S. will work. A little, they'll seem to work for a while, but they always end up deteriorating and and breaking up. And never, they never seem to last. My fav, one of my favorite uh, the Onion articles, which I've read probably a couple times over the years on Free Talk Live, is. Marxist department, a microcosm of Marxism, or something like that. I don't know. I don't know the exact headline, but it's it's very fun, very funny because they you know they go into the apartment of a couple college kids, which of course are you know they're being indoctrinated with the ways of communism at their at their college, and and it's just showing how community property is bound towards failure. And I mean, that that's people that's are stealing phrase, money from each other. And, that's where the phrase "the tragedy of the commons" has come from. Yeah. Why? Because we've seen it over and over and over. Again, no I mean, one's it's, cleaning. It's almost a, a social law that if something's owned in common, people are going to treat it poorly because they don't own it. Arguments over who's supposed to do what this week, mm-hmm. and you know, just it was just it was a hilarious article. Anyway, so go on with the uh, the story. Well, he says that any two-year-old, when told by his mother that uh, that he has five toys and he should give a couple to his brother who has none, he doesn't want to give them up. Uh, so these people want to base a society on something that a two-year-old knows is wrong. So his teacher was right. Communism and socialism are bad forms of society and bad economic systems. I suggested to him that his teacher was not objecting to capitalism, but rather mercantilism. And then I explained to him that mercantilism is capitalism with government protections allowed by a system that can't figure out where government ends and individual freedom and responsibility begin. I told him the story about the barber, the only barber in town that figured out that he could cut hair and that people would pay him. He bought a small store on the main road and hung up a sign. People came to him because he was the only one in town who could cut hair, and they paid him based on whatever price he wanted to charge. At some point, another person blew into town who said he could cut hair, too. He was about to set up shop across the street and start cutting hair of the people that the establishment barber had cut. As a result of this competition, the first barber was losing his customers. Mm -mm. As a capitalist, he would have cut his prices or improved his service, gotten better magazines, maybe some Playboys, whatever, or perhaps put a television in the shop. He would have figured out ways to compete with this new barber. 
As a mercantilist, however, he went to his friends at City Hall and suggested that the new barber might not be qualified to cut the town's hair. Mm. He might poke someone's eye out with scissors. We need standards. That's right. Or it might cut someone with a razor blade. Very dangerous situation. You know, I was... I was uh, having this conversation with a dental hygienist, and um, you know, she's. I was talking about why does somebody need a license to be a dental hygienist? And she's. I said they they don't need a license to fix your car, do they? I mean, they have uh, they have. Uh, the the BF Goodrich certification and uh, those are voluntary though you know to be a mechanic and yeah. you know a voluntary certification to be a mechanic I think there's another one ASCI yeah, ASC I think uh, mm-hmm. something like that a certification and you know they compete to certify these guys and you know if they're certified in this manner that they're good mechanics right and she said well that's fine and dandy but um, you know mechanics can't kill people uh, <laughs> she suggested that if uh, somehow you did uh, the, the, you scrape somebody's teeth incorrectly that you could cause an infection and kill them and i i said to her but if you um, apply their brakes incorrectly then they the next time they try to apply them they will careen into a school bus they could kill 20 people sure and i really don't think a dentist would hire a dental hygienist who wasn't trained wasn't trained yeah because there's schools you can go to it's it's like a four-year college in many cases it it, it's not the easiest thing in the world no it's not it's very tough but anyway, this this barber, this established barber, told the town council there should be some sort of licensing to assure that the new barber and he and, should and decide what the that's uh, rules right are. the standards are and any others who might blow into town later are qualified to perform their barber duties. So the town councilman told their constituents that they are considering a licensing requirement for any barbers in the town. Uh, they tell these people that they are doing it for the safety of all the residents. Plus, they tell them that their bar- their current barber has been kind enough to volunteer to write the licensing exam. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what a great guy. How generous. <laughs> so the, the residents suck it up and applaud the councilman. The rule is passed, and the new barber fails the test that the old barber wrote, and he leaves town. Now the old barber can keep his prices high, his quality low, and use the extra money he makes to support his favorite town councilman in the next, next election. Yep, it's a great example, and, and I don't know if there's more to the, uh, the email. We'll get to that. Yep. Uh, but it's a great example of what has happened in virtually every industry. Yep. This goes on across America, at the town level, the state level, and the federal level, and it is crushing to competition in the free market. More on the way. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You bring up what you want, toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line for you, 1-800-259-9231. And it's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All of the features on the site, totally free, so enjoy those on us. And those features include updates. You just get signed up. We clue you in whenever there's something fresh to announce about the show. Get on the list for free by going to updates.freetalklive.com. That is updates. .freetalklive.com. Mother's Day is this Sunday. If you haven't gotten something for mom, go to 1-800-Flowers.com and get her something nice. They've got flowers and gifts, and she'll love them. And they'll deliver on Mother's Day. Use code FTL to save 10%. 1-800-Flowers.com. What are you getting your mother? Are you asking me? Yeah. Um, A phone call? (laughs) Maybe I'll get her something. Maybe I'll get her something from 1-800-Flowers. But, you know, she doesn't expect much out of me. I've I've trained her to uh, to not expect much out of me. It's a darn shame. Mark, what uh, what do you get in your mom? I don't know something off one <laughs> My wife takes care of that. <laughs> All right, so we've been talking about mercantilism. We've been talking about uh, the difference between capitalism uh, in its pure form and the version of capitalism that this country has going on in in 
right now and has been for for decades. Uh, it's not capitalism really at all. I don't know if it's even fair to call it that. It's it's mercantilism where government works in tandem with existing companies, corporations, in order to protect those existing corporations uh, from competition, from new competition and in the marketplace. To, sometimes to mandate the use of their product. Sometimes to protect them from liability from people they hurt. Right. In fact, I know, Mark, I think you had a story about corporations tonight. Now mm-hmm. would be a good time to pull that up while we continue discussing this email here uh, from Brian in regards to this discussion all came about from his son talking to one of his teachers about the teacher said, well, the three different uh, economic systems that are the worst are socialism, communism, and uh, capitalism. And she was just wrong because she was conflating capitalism with mercantilism, and the two are not the same. So that's what we're we're sort of defining here. And you just finished up the barber example of, uh, and it's just more of a, it's a not really a tangible real-life example, but it really does happen in real life because this is what happens. Different uh, companies will any, that are already in existence will get together and they'll lobby their friends and they'll use their friends in government to create a regulatory board. So, for, for instance, where we come from, there's a restaurant board down in Sarasota that's got an awful lot of power over the regulations and rules that new restaurants that are just opening up must follow. Right. Which means that they've got to buy, you know, a certain level of industrial cooking equipment. They've got to, you know, and this, uh, these things cost a lot of money. They right. have to, they have to have the twenty thousand dollars worth of, uh, you know, f- hoods to pull. Uh, Grease-bearing uh, yeah. vapors That's out, sort of and you know, just nonsense. Crap. And you know, they got to renovate their uh, facilities and blah blah blah. And it's just the re- list of requirements goes on and on, and it only gets bigger every time the boards meet. They come up with new rules and new regulations to add in, so the bu- the barrier to entry gets higher and higher over time. Right. Anytime, anytime they can in. think of something new that'll make it difficult for somebody to come in and compete with them then they're happy to do that. Right. So let's continue with the uh, the email if there's more. Yes. Uh, well, basically, it, it ends with saying that these people getting their haircuts in this town are paying more for less quality and fewer choices, but they feel protected by their government. That's mercantilism, where capitalists use the power and influence of the government to stifle the competition. So he suggested to his son uh, that he correct his teacher the next day and point out that this is not capitalism at all, and the capitalism isn't bad. Rather, it is mercantilism where government blurs the line between commerce and coercive force. True capitalism can only exist in a free market. That's right. So how did the uh, t- teacher take uh, their correcting? You know, uh, I'm, I'm still awaiting uh, a response that for that one. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. Looking forward to it. 800-259-9231. Here's an example, a real-life example of mercantilism in action from LewRockwell.com. Rob Blackstock Blackstock reporting, recently Christopher M. Montalbano presented an article entitled Flaky Fluorescence. In that piece, Mr. Montalbano reports that Washington might be preparing to pass legislation which will ban normal, everyday light bulbs. Incandescence, that is. Uh, That act will, of course, force us all to instead buy fluorescent bulbs. Furthermore, we are informed that this forthcoming legislation is uh, is result of large donations to politicians in return for those politicians making the competition illegal. And of course this is what's going on out in California right now mm-hmm. is they're mandating that no one can uh, that that you cannot sell incandescent bulbs and that's what they're looking at doing on a federal level. You know, I I can't think of every use or every way that people are going to be hurt by the uh 
um, by incandescent bulbs going away. Dimmers? Gone. You can't use dimmers. Yeah, dimmers will be, you know, destroyed. You won't be able to have a, use a dimmer in your house. Um, how about, when I was a kid, we used to use a light bulb to hatch eggs. Uh, if a chicken, for yeah. whatever reason, wouldn't sit on an egg um, to hatch it, we would hatch the chicks that way. So, you know, here's this easy, simple, uh, cheap incubator. Easy bakes. Easy bake ovens, um, you know, little girls, their lives will be changed as a result of this. And everybody <laughs>, laughs at the small results, but I mean, this is uh, why? Why is it that they feel that they have to get involved? Because they're so, they're, they're harming the planet. <laughs> the incandescent bulbs are harming the planet. But what they're not, but what they're not considering though is fluorescent bulbs. When they break, they have heavy metals like mercury in them, mm-hmm. and you're and you're gonna have people have people throwing them away in their trash. Right. And they're gonna be smashed in the and landfill. We're gonna destroy the planet. And you're gonna destroy the planet that way. Well, so, I don't know about that. But well, fine. Well, well, whatever. Only, it, just yeah. as much as the likelihood of destroying the planet by um, using yeah. an incandescent bulb is, sure, is yeah, the likelihood sure. that you're gonna destroy the planet the with new, a fluorescent bulb. Maybe more so. Yeah. The new LED bulbs actually have a lot more promise, I think, because they they use even less power than fluorescence. Yeah, and they're only thirty dollars a piece. Well, now <laughs> well, they're they going to come down. They'll come down. They and will. Once they go full spectrum with those, uh, I think that'll be the way to go. But passing, let the market decide. Right. Uh, yeah. If you keep passing legislation, then I mean, if, if you're going to mandate that everyone use LEDs or fluorescence, then the the price of those aren't going to come down. Why should they? They're mandated. Passing anti-competitive laws in return for payoffs from the winners is not a new concept. The mercantilists were doing it hundreds of years ago. They still are today. However, most Americans are ignorant of these laws until they're actually harmed by them. For example, how many of you remember the now unlamented Freon? DuPont was the patent holder on the greatest invention in human history, Freon. If you've ever visited the Deep South during the summertime... And that's where we used to live. You'll quickly realize why Southerners consider Freon to be man's greatest accomplishment. Mm. (laughs) During the 1980s, it was discovered that the stratospheric ozone layer over Antarctica was not as thick as the stratospheric ozone layer over the remainder of the Earth. Actually, that shouldn't be a surprise. The key catalyst in the formation of stratospheric ozone is sunlight. It's dark six months out of the year in the Antarctic. Furthermore, it's known, uh, it is known that ice crystals help to break down ozone. Again, we're talking about Antarctica. About the same time, it was found that in a vacuum, chlorofluorocarbons, also known as CFCs, and hydrochlorofluorocarbons, HCFCs, break down ozone. Again, this only occurs in a scientifically controlled vacuum. Why? Because CFCs and HCFCs are heavier than air. I have found no scientific evidence explaining how CFCs and HCFCs could possibly rise to the level of the stratosphere. Those facts it's awful far up there. Yeah. Those facts didn't stop environmentalists from campaigning against cooking sprays, hairsprays, deodorants, and all other uses of CFCs and HCFCs, including and especially Freon. Look at your hairspray. Look at your uh well, not that I have hairspray, but look at the different <laughs> yeah. uh aerosol products out there today and they they have that CFC free logo on them. Save the planet. As though that you're doing something by using those products, uh, saving the planet. But those facts didn't stop the environmentalists from campaigning against Freon, and we'll talk about what happened to Freon and what happened with DuPont's opinion of its own product, a product that they created, that they were behind, that they were marketing, and that they were profiting from for a while. All of a sudden, their opinion changed about it. And we'll find out why. Ties back into this whole mercantilist thing. More coming up. It's Free Talk Live. You take control. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. 
This is Free Talk Live, your show. Bring up what you want, toll free. 800-259-9231, the SACL CAI toll-free line for you. It's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are for free, including live streams, broadband version of the show, and a dial-up version waiting for you, free, freetalklive.com. Do you have a company that needs to try something new in the area of collections? SACL CAI does collections, early out billing, and they purchase charged-off receivables. SACL's employees are trained in resolving issues for your customers and treating them with respect. They know that not only do you want to collect your money, but you want to keep those clients, too. SACL CAI. Check out their banner at freetalklive.com or call 1-800-544-6359. Do business with businesses that support Free Talk Live. So we're talking about mercantilism, this uh, this idea of how a uh, situation where the government works hand-in-hand hand with corporations and companies in order to create new restrictive regulations that, uh, for instance, prevent other companies from getting into the business, or once a company's already in business, maybe using regulations, creating new regulations to attack those existing companies with. It's basically companies using government to fight against other companies, yeah, and it's, yeah. it's, it's anti-competitive. It's it's anti-freedom, and it's, it's disgusting. And we're giving you an example now, a real-life example, of mercantilism in action. And it's from the 1980s, uh, during the, the hubbub about CFCs, chlorofluorocar- uh, chlorofluorocarbons and HCFCs, hydrochlorofluorocarbons, which are uh, supposed to be really damaging to the ozone. And, oh, no, don't spray your hairspray or the that off everywhere because it's going to destroy the environment. That was the message that the uh, environmentalists were putting out there when, in fact, it wasn't actually backed up by uh, by real uh, real science. They found that uh, the CFCs hurt ozone when in a controlled vacuum. But in reality, in the real world where there's gravity... Uh, that stuff stays at the level of the earth. It doesn't go into the atmosphere. It It's heavier than air. It's not possible for that to happen. So it's all just bunk science in the first place. But nonetheless, DuPont had created Freon, which has chlorofluorocarbons, I guess, involved in it. And uh, Freon, of course, was a, a, an important component in air conditioners. So we continue with the story from this point. Uh, so the DuPont... Throughout the attacks, they stoically defended their product and pointed out correctly that science just doesn't support the alarmist fears. However, in 1992, DuPont changed their tune, and then they admitted that they, too, believed that Freon was harming the ozone layer. Hmm. Mm, there's a catch. S- strange, isn't it? DuPont backed the Montreal Protocol, which called for the gradual phase-out of chlorofluorocarbon-based refrigerants and encouraged the first Bush administration to adopt an accelerated phase-out. Why did DuPont suddenly come to accept the claims of the environmental lobby when so many scientists believed that the hole in the ozone was not an anthropogenic event, and it was in fact just natural based on the factors of, of that, those areas of the Earth? According to Eric Peters, DuPont changed their stance due to the fact that the company's patent on Freon terminated in 1992. Oh, man. They're so smart, aren't they? This opened the door to not only domestic competition, but cheaper Freon from South American producers. Seeing that Freon was, quote, the only refrigerant used by the auto industry since the first AC systems were installed in the 1950s, unquote, DuPont stood to lose millions. However, by encouraging regulators to make Freon illegal, DuPont closed the door to competition. 
Simultaneously, DuPont introduced a patented substitute, HFC-134A. DuPont, quote, owns exclusive rights to that particular substitute, the only refrigerant authorized for use in new car air conditioning systems. (laughs) On April 27, 1992, DuPont placed a full-page ad in the New York Times which stated... In the U.S. alone, more than $135 billion worth of equipment used in about 3,500 different applications depend on CFCs. All of this equipment must use recycled refrigerants or be retrofitted or replaced before it can use any of the substitutes for CFCs. The division director of DuPont, of their Freon division, summed it up nicely. Quote, when you have 3 billion of CFCs sold worldwide and 70% of that is about to be regulated out of existence... There is a tremendous market potential. There certainly is. That's an, a perfect example of mercantilism. The, the garbage that we're that the environmentalists shove down our throat, and how companies take advantage. One eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. If you've got comments, Bruce Yandel authored the Baptists and Bootleggers Theory of Regulation, which said that two groups often work together to have regulations passed, but for two very different reasons. For example, both Baptists and Bootleggers might pressure government to outlaw alcohol. Baptists, due to their religious beliefs in bootleggers, because they want a profit. The Dupont story is a perfect example of Yandel's theory, in which environmentalists were the re- religious sect and Dupont was the bootlegger. The environmentalists wanted to stop CFCs because they were harming Mother Earth. DuPont wanted to stop CFCs because by doing so, they're using the coercive power of government to make the competition illegal. Now just think about if there had been no patent in the first place for them to uh, to acquire for this invention, then the competition would have started immediately, and there would have been no way. There, been, there would have been no government privilege. There would have been no government uh, protectionism. They would have had to have competed in the marketplace from day number one, with, uh, with other producers out there. And that means competing in the marketplace in, in ways like this means continually innovating, meaning you know that there are going to be people out there that are going to borrow your ideas and sell them too, so you better come out with the next great product real soon instead of resting on your laurels, as companies do today, with their sweet little patent guarantee where they, are, they know that no one else can compete with them. Why should they bother doing anything new and exciting? Why should they bother continually uh, coming out with something, uh, something else new when they can just sit and profit from their one particular invention for 7, 10, 15 years, however long you know the patent lasts, you know, I, and then just renew the patent. I, I think that I, I don't agree with patent law the way it exists in the United States um, today. For one, you can uh, if Wayne and I think of the same idea at the same time, um, or you know the, we think of the same idea. I think of it a week later than Wayne does. He goes out and gets a patent. I can't use my unique idea that I came up with myself. Um, so I have a problem with patent law. But you know what I was sitting here and I was thinking as you were uh, railing against uh, intellectual property is just how remarkably similar it sounds like when the socialists rail against the rich people. Oh my God, they have all the money and they should be able, you know, we everybody should be able to get it and use it and, and that kind of thing. And no, I don't just, think that's similar at all. I know, I know you don't. I, I, You're talking I, about money. I can I'm make talking, your argument on your side. I'm talking about how ideas should be free. I yeah. understand you think ideas should be free, and I don't think that uh, the implementation of ideas is free. And I think that some Somebody who can, uh, you know, they're then, not going to use Dupont's money to create their own Freon. They're going to use no, their own money. No, they're going to use you, uh, the end product of Dupont's research to create their own. You're Freon. presuming again. You're presuming that the marketplace would come out with ideas in the same way it does today, in the absence of the patent system. And I say you're wrong about that. Uh, but you're absolutely right. It, I would be wrong about that. It is not going to come out with things the same way as it does today because you will entirely change that system. Correct. 
you know, I think that on one hand, there, there should be some incentive to put the research and development and, and the innovation together. I think if, if you can just put all this money in and then just re- then anybody can use it, there's no real incentive to invest that. So I think there has to be some protection for those who invent. I like but, the idea of uh, that, that I read in a paper, it was like a 50-page paper about the ab- abolishment of so-called intellectual property. And the summary of what, uh, what, as I understand it, was that their idea, and again, we don't know how the marketplace would handle this process, mm-hmm. but the marketplace would come up with a way to allow the idea people to be rewarded for coming up with ideas and allow the producers to be rewarded for producing those products. They suggested that the idea people would become a separate industry entirely in that, for instance, using just the university system that we have today, that the idea people could be hired by universities, and so the universities could be the ones that developed Freon, where Harvard could come out with Freon, and that way they would have the renown, or MIT, or whoever it would be that would come out with it, they would have the renown, they would have the ability to claim, we developed this, our people come up with the best ideas in the world, here's Freon. And then they put it out there, it's an idea, so any company, DuPont or you know, uh, AC Delco or whoever is manufacturing products that are going to use this particular idea, would be able to just pluck that idea out and, and utilize it um, for, the bene- for, their, for their benefit, for their profits, and for the benefit of mankind. So that's just one example of how the, the system might shift in the event of a free marketplace to continue to protect those who want to make things, who want to invent and create new ideas, and at the same time also... Uh, making it so companies don't have to have research and development so much anymore. It could be taken uh, elsewhere and um, done by idea people. Or contract idea companies. Contracts, sure. Um, But then, of course, you've got the international people that could come in and steal the ideas and produce their products in other countries. And how do you enforce in that particular case? It gets a little tricky. Anyway, we don't know what the marketplace would do, and that's the point. Robert in Arizona is coming up. Your calls as well. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You bring up what you want. The toll-free number for you, 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Wayne and Mark. 800-259-9231. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com. Though we do ask, uh, we give away all the features on the site, that we do ask you to voluntarily support us by becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier at amp.freetalklive.com. AMP stands for Advertise, Market, and Promote. And the idea is simple. If you like what we're doing here on Free Talk Live, then, well... Send us three bucks a month. We'll take that money in and we'll turn it around into advertising, marketing, and promoting the show, getting the show on more radio stations. In fact, uh, coming up this weekend, we announced announced two brand new stations last night. I got another one to announce on Saturday night. Can you? So. I mean, can you imagine that we're growing that quickly? And well, it was a little slow for a couple months, and now all of a sudden, it's you know, it's like it, it reminds me of working in retail. Uh, the customers would come in in waves. Mm-hmm. It just, there'd be no one in the store, and then all of a sudden, fifty people would come through the doors. And it's sort of the same way here. We hadn't had a couple. We hadn't had a signups for a couple of months from from radio stations, and now there's three in one week. You know, uh, so. I, uh, I I used to work in advertising, and one of my uh, customers was a um, car dealership, and one of the salespeople, their top salesperson there, was this good Christian guy, and he said, uh, you know, they they come like grapes in little bunches, mm-hmm. and I always thought that was a cute little way to think of. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's, customers came in. it's working. The AMP money that listeners are sending in is absolutely having an effect on, on radio station owners and, and operators out there. And we're getting on more stations. We're getting more people exposed to the message of freedom and liberty. And that's valuable to you. Plus, you want to get your hands on a few perks, like access to the AMP-only chat room, AMP-only phone line, uh, AMP-only forum. All of the details are there at amp.freetalklive.com. Let's go to the phones and talk to Robert in Arizona. You're on Free Talk Live. Hey, Robert. 
Hi. One thing people don't seem to ever address with these um, fluorescent uh, bulbs is that people who suffer migraines really have a bad time with those fixtures. Why? They um, they trigger migraines. Uh, something about the light frequency. Um, I know that I get migraines, and I, I can't have fluorescent around me at all. Well, there, there are full-spectrum fluorescents that seem to be much better in that regard. Are they? Yes. Well, so actually, wait, that isn't why I called in, but I did want to bring that up. Um, uh, okay, so it's not I, the uh, it's not the pulsating of the light; it's the uh, the wavelength of the light, is what you're saying? Yes. Gotcha. I think I think it's Call the it. wavelength or the it may be the pulsing of it. I just know that there's something about a fluorescent bulb that if you have if you're prone to migraines, you just don't want it anywhere around you. Right, and now the federal um, government look is looking at mandating that people use fluorescent bulbs over over incandescent bulbs, and now you're just giving one reason, a very personal reason, as to why that's an awful idea. I also understand that you're exactly. supposed to burn them in. You're supposed to leave them on for X number of hours straight when you first get them. Never heard of that. Yeah. Well, anyway, so what was the reason for calling? Well, sir? then the other reason that I called in is that um, my family uh, had brought back Back during the robber baron period, they picked up a bunch of chandeliers uh, in Europe and had them electrified around the teens and 20s. And I'm sure that those are going to look really good with those twisty light pictures <laughs> in them now. Man. <laughs> Robert, thank you That's for the call. We appreciate real. hearing from you. Know, you. And, and this is how, these are the unseen effects of the legislation all over. Yep. That's true. Let's go to Tom in Maryland. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Tom. Tom in Maryland? Going Tom, on. Tom, Tom. Tom and hello, Tom. Hi, how are you doing? Great. Gentlemen? What's on your um, mind, sir? I wanted to just uh, comment about the uh, Freon story you guys told, and yes. it's not often it, we need to be reminded of things like that. Is what I really wanted to yeah. say. Uh, I, it had been a long time, and I remember when all that went down. I was in high school. Uh, I graduated in 1989, mm -hmm. and I think it was in like contemporary issues or whatever where. Fluoro, fluorocarbons became a, a topic back then, and then the next thing you know, the Freon, the 1992 model cars were the last that had the old Freon. And, and the 93 uh, cars. I just remember when it all went down, and, and the new, it, it's not as good, and um, everything... It just you know, there's so many there's so many lies, you know, whether you're talking about that or we need to be reminded often of of Waco and what went down there and mm -hmm. even Ruby Ridge and everything they seem to involve themselves in. Sure, and in many cases, um, it's not just reminding people, but educating them for the first time. Um, I myself, when this happened, I would have only been 12, so I wouldn't have known anything about it. Um, so when I right. read this article, it was the first time I'd heard about it. I knew, I'd heard of CFCs, didn't know what they were. I'd heard of, uh, you know, all I knew was that I, I had cans of off that had a, you know, no CFCs. I thought, oh, it must be bad. I don't have CFCs. <laughs> God knows, Tur we wouldn't want CFCs. Turns out it's all a lie. So, Big I mean, it's, it's also... crap. It's also educating those who are just coming up in the world as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think the first time I'd ever really heard any serious comment, Gordon Liddy, I used to listen to him many, many years ago, and, and he had a lot to say about it when it when it all went down, pretty much a carbon copy of, of what you guys had said earlier. But that's really all I wanted to say, and if there's anyone behind me, I'd like to get out of the way. Thanks for Thanks. the call, Tom. A, a carbon copy. Was that a pun? Bye now. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks for the call. 
800-259-9231. CFCs being chlorofluorocarbons. Uh, so, coming up, uh, let's see, I've got an email about intellectual property since we're on the topic, but to Dave in New Hampshire first. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Dave. Hey, Dave. Hey, lads. What's on your mind? Hey, mate. Oh, well, I just wanted to report in my uh, latest open carry incident in New Hampshire. Really? Uh, although, uh, really, I think incident was probably a, uh, a glorified word for it, and that's good news. It's uh, th- These things are getting calmer and calmer every time. Is this breaking news? Are we getting an exclusive here, Dave, or have you already posted it over at NHFree.com? No, I just happened about an hour ago. Ah, so is this uh, is an exclusive. Breaking news. Yeah, Hang on a uh, second here. We've got to get the, uh, the, the news update feed <laughs> out here because uh, Dave's a news guy. He appreciates this sort of thing. And uh, Dave, I guess... Breaking news from New Hampshire, another incident with open carry, because here in New Hampshire, a lot of people don't understand this, they've never seen it in their state, but you'll see it occasionally if you're up here in New Hampshire, is that you can legally carry a weapon openly. That's what open carry is all about. You're not, as long as you aren't brandishing it at people, there's a difference between carrying the weapon and brandishing it. So Dave, what happened to you? Not very much, and that's what's the news. I mean, uh, I, uh, I was walking, you know, to the um, uh, Murphy's Tap Room, which is a new restaurant that's been opened here in, in town in, in Manchester. It's being run by Freestaters, isn't it? And owned and operated by It Free is. That's awesome. That is correct. Hmm. Uh, and, of course, open carry is welcome there. And so I was heading there. But I, have to, I had to park you know, way up here, like north, about almost half a mile north of the, of the location because parking was so tight. Mm-hmm. So I had a long way to walk. But I, you know, was open carrying, and um, on the way I had to pass a lot of officers because there was this concert going on in Manchester tonight, and uh, hardly none of them did a thing. One of them, uh, you know, noticed, and uh, he said, "Hey, what you got?" You know, and I was like, "Oh, it's a Glock 19." He's like, "Oh yeah, well, yeah, we use those are good guns. You know, we we use SIGs, uh, but uh, yeah, Glocks are good guns." And that was it. That was all I got from the police. <laughs> Pretty Excellent. cool. Glock is a fine gun. And I guess it makes sense that they use SIGs because SIGs are manufactured here in New Hampshire, as I understand it. That's yeah. it. Yep. Um, so that's it then, huh, Dave? You, uh, you walked through an entire throng of police officers and nobody tried to do anything to you. Correct. How different would that have been had you been in New York City? How about Boston? How about Washington, D.C.? You would have been tackled. Yeah, it would have been over for you. There you yep. go. Thanks for the call, there's, man. There's a cop in my town that actually teaches a, a voluntary gun safety course, and he believes that the, it's a citizen's job to, to be a backup for, for the cops. That's pretty darn good. Now, there are a lot of cops who will take a uh, an, an anti-position on that. They'll say that you should call the police when you're in trouble and and try not to engage the assailant. And, and whenever somebody actually does uh, engage someone who's threatening others and does essentially what the police's job is because they're too late or whatever, then they actually end up rebuking that person. They end up, their poli- uh, public spokespeople will say, well, we don't, uh, we don't appreciate what this person did. I don't know if the New Hampshire police would have that same same viewpoint, but I've, I've seen that all over from police. They do everything they can to discourage Americans from actually defending themselves and others. It's right. sick. You know, and, and you know the statistics on people that call 911 instead of defending themselves. That's right. Well, what if, what if you were open carrying somewhere and, there was, and a cop was in trouble and he was by himself? You could help the, you could help the cop. Yeah, unfortunately, I wouldn't really feel like helping the cop. 
Well, that's that's you. That's how I am. But um, I, you know, I would like very much to be. Because that to cop would want to help me into a jail cell. Help enforce the he law. You, you don't know specifically with every cop, though, Ian. Yeah. I mean, true. you'll draw a generalization with cops, but you won't draw a generalization with anyone else, and and that's not really fair. Well, they should stop enforcing bad laws, and then I'd consider helping the cops. As soon as the, as soon as the cops stop enforcing bad laws, you don't know whether that speci- specific cop enforces bad laws. Well, that's right. I I do know that most cops don't do anything about the corruption that they see amongst their ranks because they're. Scared. Of, and uh, think, think for a second against. how um, important it would be to that police officer, whatever pro-freedom message you gave to him mm-hmm. after you helped defend his life. I mean, imagine what kind of impact it could have on his life. You know, you could say after you uh, gun somebody down, you know, you're just helped by a criminal because I smoke marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> just thought you ought to know. Interesting, you know? <laughs> interesting viewpoint. I like that, Mark. Very good. Very persuasive. I'm thinking a second time about this now. <laughs> I guess it would depend on the cop. All right. Hour three's coming up. Coming up, intellectual property, your calls about whatever's on your mind. This is your show. It is Free Talk Live. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free, but if you think other people deserve to hear this show, consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up what you want toll-free at 800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And that is the SACL CAI toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. Join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features are for free, so enjoy those on us at freetalklive.com. Jumping right into the calls, let's talk to Dan in Indiana. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Dan. Yes, hello, Ian. Hello, hello Mark. Hey, what's um, on your mind? I, I wanted to... I just caught the end of what you said about the CFCs, and I, I just wanted to ask you a question. I believe you made the statement that the CFCs were a, a lie, the, the idea that the CFCs depleted the ozone. Or Yeah, I, you must have, you, I guess you say you just tuned in. The article we, we read last hour pointed out that uh, CFCs do damage ozone in a controlled vacuum, but in reality, um, there's heavier than air. gravity, and they're heavier than air, so there's no chance that they could uh, damage the ozone. That's as I understand it. Oh, well, I understood it, but they actually did go up, um, and it took like 14 years to get actually to to the level where they would actually deplete the ozone. It, it, it just takes a while. Hmm. And, well, um, that's I don't know how that could be if if it's true that they're heavier than air. I mean, we would all be possible. breathing um, CFE, CFCs uh, and no oxygen because they're heavier than air. They'd sit that close to the surface, and, um, I mean, you know, the... the Every time you go out from the the Earth another uh, a mile, then you exponentially increase the size of the area of the the Earth. So I mean, the, the stratosphere where the ozone layer is is over seven. The troposphere is seven miles, um, you know, in in width, so or in depth, I guess. So therefore, to get up to the stratosphere, there's a long, long way to go. Uh, they there is no science that shows that um, CFCs can get to the stratosphere. Sounds like environmental scare tactics to me. Dan. Um, yeah, but there's, um, they've been measuring it for a while. Unfortunately, they weren't measuring it before they thought it was a problem. Uh, but you, Who's they? Uh, the, like NOAA, National Organization. That's, that's a government Earth. organization. It is. It is. Right. But they, they, they have satellites that take pictures and um, measure. Wait, wait, wait. What are they the measuring? Ozone. The ozone or are they measuring CFCs? 
No, the ozone layer, not CFC. Well, oh, okay. the ozone layer goes through um, different periods of thickness and thinness. And, and right, well, that doesn't follow. To say that the ozone is changing and therefore it's the CFC's fault, no, that's, that's just, it's logically inconsistent. I would, ag- I would agree with that. Um, and I, I mean, I've, I read recently how the ozone's not repairing itself as fast as I can, they can, but I do have a direct argument with the argument you presented. Okay. Um, you, we, the, 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 what you were claiming was CFCs are heavier than air, and that may be true. But then, uh, but there's this idea of diffusion and partial pressure, right? Um, kind of, if you've had a, a small amount of CFCs around the Earth, they still might go up far. They just would stack on top of it. Well, I understand what diffusion is. Diffusion is where, uh, you, you know, if you take uh, air freshener and you spray the air freshener in one corner of a room, the particles will diffuse throughout the room into where, to the point where they're pretty much evenly spread out, and uh, and that's diffusion. But it, it's when you're still, talking about oil and water, though, um, if if left un you know undisturbed, they will separate. Right. One will go to the top, one will go to the bottom. Now that right. you certainly exactly. can't say that uh, you know gases on uh, the lower portion of the earth are going to be un disturbed, but I don't think that anyone could make the, uh, I mean, you're talking about a lot of CFCs were introduced into this uh, vacuum system where it um, affected the ozone. Man, it just doesn't, the fact is, a product was taken away from us with shoddy science, and that's not fair. They lied to the American people. If they could have, now, the possibility exists that very well maybe what they were saying could have happened a little bit. But that doesn't change the fact that the way it was presented was a damn lie. And we're paying higher prices due to it, too. And we're, a lot, and we're ten forced times to use much. a crappy new so, version that doesn't work okay. as well. So is the claim that you're making that, um, that it wasn't the evidence that, that scientists have wasn't conclusive at the time that the CFC ban went into effect? Is or that, even now. It's still not conclusive, yes. I would, yeah, absolutely. We're right. never going to it be able to conclude it because they've outlawed the product. Right, it at wasn't this point. conclusive, and then legislation was hastily passed to completely destroy this very useful and uh, beneficial product, uh, a product that would that benefited mankind. Just like DDT has resulted in the, the all the scare tactics the environmentalists spread about uh, about DDT resulted in that being banned worldwide, and now people are getting malaria. As a result of it, because because yeah. well, the unintended consequences. And a lot of the chemicals that have yeah. replaced DDT are far more harmful than DDT was. There you go, Dan. Any final thoughts? Well, yes, I I I I do believe I remember reading that they were starting to use DDT in Africa again. To Thank goodness. To combat more. Thank you for the call. We appreciate okay. it. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one is the SACL CAI toll free line. And that was Dan on the phones. And we got an email from a different Dan, I think. Uh, he says, I've called your show a few times as Daniel in Ontario, and I think it's great. I'm thinking seriously about amplifying, but I've been hearing a few arguments about intellectual property, and they're aggravating me. <laughs> Argument number one. I'm an XYZ content creator, and I invest a lot of money in my business, and I think I need copyrights around, or else I wouldn't get a return on my investment. Dan's response? So, you're admitting that the only reason why your business exists is because of the guns of government? You're admitting that you don't have the market skills to keep your business afloat without force? 
you admit that your entire industry is a direct product of government force? Now, wait, 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 wait a second. I don't think that that's, um, th- th- that is a fair statement because many businesses currently rely on the protection of uh, police departments in order to keep their windows from getting busted in and people stealing their merchandise. That's not true. So th- what, they don't rely that on hey, that? Come on. Haven't you been down to uh, certain downtown areas? They rely on bars to keep their windows from getting busted Not in, in all downtown areas. And a lot of people, th- there are, there's a, a percentage of people out there that don't bust in windows and take things mm-hmm. um, because... They know that the cops will come get them, and that's as a result of that. You when, think? W- yeah, when times of riot happen, and they don't, and they know the cops are busy elsewhere, that's when they go do it. So there's the evidence for it happening. That's mob mentality, is what that I is. I don't care what the reasons are. They're relying on the guns of government to keep their products from being stolen. I've, I would disagree with you on that. I think they're relying more on... That's because on, you uh, want to protect... I mean, that's because you're not being intellectually honest. No, they're relying on uh, real protections, like locks and no, video they, cameras absolutely. I would and not trust bars. The, I wouldn't trust the cops entirely, but it right. is In fact, anybody the fear of prosecution that keeps some people from breaking the law Anybody that's ever had anything stolen from them knows that the cops aren't much help at all. They might get your car back... Maybe after it's been stolen, maybe they'll find something else that happens to be, you know, left by the side of the road. But as far as getting your products back that uh, were stolen from your store, that's very, very rare that the cops are going to even do anything or even even get a break in the case. I if, didn't suggest if you don't the have cops are going to get your cameras, products back. I'm suggesting that um, the reason your windows don't get broken and looters come in is because the the cops are there. That there's an uh, an order in place. I would I, okay. If you want to agree or disagree with that, eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. It seems to me that the reason why windows aren't broken is because they know that there's a chance that there's surveillance monitoring going on in that business location that they would be caught for breaking those windows, uh, whether they're be caught by the business Who's owner themselves yeah. or by the police or by whomever it is that's going to catch them. But it's you know the fact is if there's no surveillance then you can very easily break into somebody's windows and go in and rob stuff because the cops sure as hell aren't going to get there anytime soon. If you don't have an alarm system, if you don't have surveillance cameras, if you don't have security uh, in place there on your own property, then there's nothing to stop people from doing those sorts of things. You know, I'll never forget the image of the Korean businessmen in L.A. during the Rodney King riots mm-hmm. defending their stores. They had Glocks. Up they on the roof? Up the, yeah, up on the roof, and they were shooting. And, and they protected their stores themselves. Cops weren't helping them out then, were they? Well, no. Uh, no, they absolutely weren't. But um, you know, in in this same area, uh, what do you do when the cops are the looters, like in uh, in New Orleans, Mark? What do you do then? Well, my question to you would instead be, um, why aren't people breaking into stores today in Compton, right now, at this very moment? Why aren't stores being broken into? I don't live in Compton. I can't comment on that. But if you do, eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. Part of the reason is cops. Let's go to Jim in Ohio. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Jim, listening on WAIS. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Jim. What's on your mind? I just want to compliment New Hampshire on honoring their open carry law. Yes. Our Ohio State, our Constitution, says we have the right to carry openly. How's that going for you? We had to... Had what? Had what? A concealed carry law. Yeah. Yeah, there's one of those up here too, which I think we need to get rid of. Uh, Vermont doesn't have that. Um, Alaska, I believe, doesn't have that either. So it's not perfect here in New Hampshire, but it sure as heck is a lot better than the other states. Thank you for the call. We appreciate it. 800-259-9231. That's the toll-free number. You take control. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live and 
It's your show. You can bring up what you want via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231, the SACL CAI toll-free line. Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. Join us online, freetalklive.com. We've got a wiki. Lots of uh, stuff to see on it. Over 1,300 pages created by listeners just like you, and it's completely free. Wiki.freetalklive.com. Wouldn't it be great to have an ex-narcotics officer be your personal coach to keep you from getting busted with marijuana? Go to NeverGetBusted.com to view clips of the recently released DVD that's gained world attention. NeverGetBusted.com. As we continue the email from uh, Daniel in Ontario, he's rebutting some of the 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 arguments that some of the pro, uh, I guess the pro-intellectual property, pro-government protection of intellectual property libertarians take, uh, pointing out that, well, I spent a lot of money in my business and I need copyrights or else I wouldn't get a return. He says, well, how can people call themselves libertarians in one breath and then cry out for government to protect their industry in the next? Well, but I just, I, this is one of these issues that I do not consider to be um, uh, integral and foundational to uh, believing in liberty. Look, if you believe that the government should protect somebody's business by having police to protect them from getting their inventory stolen, then it is not a crazy, illogical step to believe that the government should be in play to protect people's intellectual property. Now, I can totally get that some people may agree that intellectual property should be there and some people don't, mm-hmm. and certainly most libertarians would agree that the intellectual properties are too big and too invasive, but to me, it's you know, once again, this is the, um, you know, the, the more radical libertarians bashing the less radical libertarians in order to make themselves feel better, to look better, to, uh, to, to attain a higher p- position in heaven. Uh, maybe None it's of these things it's are going to happen. Maybe it's because it's an issue that's important to them and uh, they want to talk about it. I, mean, I understand they want to. I understand that. But um, but maybe it really it be better. Them. Um, wouldn't it be better if we could get some kind of change in the current laws on um, intellectual property, and then we could talk about you know rationing yeah, like abolishing back? patents and abolishing copyright and mm. abolishing all well, those let's other do things. away with the government while we're at it. Let's please. Uh, he says, why is it that if you asked a libertarian lawyer what he thought about the legal system, he'd say it's too complex. I'd love to be out of a job tomorrow and start earning a real living as a voluntary advocate. If you asked a libertarian doctor about the medical system, he'd say, there should be more competition. I can almost get away with murder because there's so many restrictions put on the doctor supply and the AMA only has their best interests in mind, not mine or the people. If you ask a libertarian accountant about the tax system, they'd say, it's too complicated. You have no idea the mess I have to deal with. I want to start a business doing bookkeeping, but instead I'm sifting through tomes upon tomes of law books looking for loopholes. I want a real job, but I'm here because of the government. But if you ask a libertarian artist what they thought about the copyright system, they'd say, don't worry, government is the answer for that. Am I the only one who sees a contradiction here? Argument number two, copying is theft. Response. This is, again, this is the argument that the intellectual property supporters make in right. his response. Copying is theft. He says, equating intellectual property to real property is an insult to real property. Do they even understand why libertarians support property rights? Do they even know the horrible pain, death, blood, and tears that result when you strip away someone's rights to their own physical property? No, hold on. Um, now, a physical property is something I create with my hands. I take and create wealth in the world. Mm-hmm. Now, would you say, Ian, that the person that came up with the concept of the combustion engine created wealth in the world? Sure. There you go. Wait, wait, what, what's your point? I, I, tell me that's insulting. 
Now, one in one comparison, I take a coconut and I carve a face in it and I paint a little face in it. I've created some wealth. I can sell that to some harebrained tourist in Florida. Uh-huh. Okay. In another, I come up with the concept of the combustion engine. Uh-huh. I, I, you don't follow me? You're not telling me that one's creating wealth and you're telling me that one's creating wealth and not one's not creating wealth? No, no, I didn't say that they're not creating wealth. Well, fine. Then the blood, sweat, and tears went into the combustion engine concept, not the carving of the coconut. Right. And the combustion engine is a comparable. real product that exists in reality. That's not what his argument is. His, his re- argument isn't atoms to, uh, put together to create matter. His argument is blood, sweat, and tears going into the, the um, real property, and supposedly they don't go into um, uh, intellectual property. I don't think you've even allowed him to finish his argument, actually. Uh, going on, he says, Do they even know the horrible pain, death, and tears that result when you strip away someone's rights to their own physical property? People will routinely take the horrors that result when someone loses their right... Uh, will routinely take that result when someone loses their right to property and compare it to the mild irritation of discovering that someone has enjoyed your art without your permission. I've never heard such outrageous hyperbole in my life. These so-called libertarians need to familiarize themselves with real communism before they accuse me of trying to abolish property rights. Consider this. Your physical property is an extension of yourself. If I take an orange from your hand, I'm hurting you. That orange was your nourishment, and assuming you acquired it nonviolently, it was a product of mixing your labors with the resources around you. Well, the orange wasn't nourishment. The orange was going to be nourishment in the future. It had the right. potential for nourishment, just like the that. concept for the combustion engine. I'm hurting you, and it's immediately evident. Contrast this to an artist whose song I've copied. The artist might not even find out about it for his entire life. Now, I, I would totally agree that if um, you... That when you're talking about not making money off of somebody's concept, when you're talking about, um, you know, I don't know, you see art in somebody's house, you draw a picture of it because you liked it so much, you hang it up on your wall to mm-hmm. enjoy yourself, not the same thing. If you copy, uh, you know, a, 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 a song off of uh, the computer, I, I don't think you're you're not harming anyone. But when you start going out there and marketing something that someone else has spent their time on, their blood, sweat, and their tears, as as it were. Then you're That's when them. you want the government to come in because you think that it's just it's just not fair to get out there and compete as a better marketer than that other person. The well, government should get involved. Ian, what would you do if somebody else took the name Free Talk Live, they stole your logo, and they created another website? It's been done. Free I've Talk. done nothing. You've done nothing? Yeah, he's right. absolutely... It's, he, the, yeah. He, he lives this crazy stuff. I'll, yeah. I'll give him that. Well, what if they went on the air and did everything you're doing and called themselves Free Talk Live also? Well, well they don't they do, do, go on the they air don't do and, everything and, we're doing because they're white separatist um, <laughs> scumbags. It's awesome. Uh, but whatever. Yeah, he's absolutely not going to... He's not going to go after them. And But in his certain circumstance... You know, I mean, he happens. I can to differentiate my show and and you know make it clear who, which the real free talk live is. So we are superior marketing. We have a lot of legs up on them, and and you know, in our, in our case, it's really just complimentary. Good luck um, to them getting doing. on a radio but station. But the the fact is, when you take somebody who's underpowered, um, and then you know some bigger company comes along and quote unquote steals their you know steals their intellectual uh, property, and then they market that intellectual property. 
far superior than um, the little guy can, mm-hmm. then what you've got is you've got a system that uh, allows corporations to steal ideas from little people. Well, and without the government around, there would be no corporations. Well, fine, corporations. There'd be businesses. There'd be big businesses. It allows the rich guys to stomp on the little guys. You should protect your ideas better if you're worried about them being stolen. How am I going to protect my idea if I sell it to so- if I intend to sell it to people? Well, then you should have them sign a contract. Wayne was talking about this during one of the breaks. Non-disclosure. You, you sign a non-disclosure agreement to that company up front to say, you want to buy this, you know, you're interested in this product, you can look at it, you can examine it, you just can't, uh, you can't, you know, deconstruct it entirely in order to uh, learn the innards and, and reproduce it yourself, but the you day, can sign an the agreement. Day that I, the, the day I roll that first one off the line and I sell it retail to um, to the end user, that's the it day... It can be reverse engineered and sold by a competing industry. Absolutely. And you know what? That scares you because you don't like competition. Competition scares you, doesn't it, Mark? Like that's what theft. it's all about. How do you that's feel about theft? theft? That's hard work. That's somebody taking a product, reverse engineering, figuring out how it works. Hard work is coming their up with the idea of the combustion it, engine. Creating their own version of it and then marketing it on their own. That's all stuff that they did on, on a voluntary basis. You know what? Boo-hoo to you, Mark. More coming back. This you is Free Talk Live. <laughs> One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. You bring up what you want. The toll-free number for you, 800-259-9231, is the SACL CAI toll-free line. And it's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features for free, including archives, an entire year's worth of the show, right there on the front page of the website for your downloading convenience. Go get them for free at freetalklive.com. And Mother's Day is this Sunday. If you haven't gotten something for mom... Go to 1-800-Flowers.com and get her something nice. They've got flowers and gifts that she will love, and they'll deliver on Mother's Day. Use code FTL to save 10%. That's 1-800-Flowers.com. Don't forget your wives, either. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, I guess, I mean, if they're mothers, you mean. Yes. yes right. Okay, so uh, we're in, still in the midst of an email from Daniel here about intellectual property. He's rebutting uh, some of the common arguments for intellectual property laws and protections by the government. And just a fu- few final and thoughts. I am screaming like a harpy. Yes, you are. Uh, number, argument number two, copying is theft, was the argument. And his final um, point is that contrast someone who's worked hard on a, a piece of physical property to an artist whose song that I've copied. The artist might not even find out about it for his entire life. Mm-hmm. It could happen a trillion times without the artist even noticing it. Yet somehow it's an assault that warrants violent, uh, violent retaliation. It somehow justifies the guns of the state. He says no. Argument number three, the industry will suffer. My response, this may be where Ian and Mark differ. Mark may say that I think we've differed on arguments one and two. Mark may say it's okay for a libertarian to support state intervention in the market. He might argue that copiers will damage industries that he deems valuable, and thus the state's violence should be turned on peaceful people who respectfully disagree. But I believe Ian will side with me. The government has no place deciding which industries should rise and which industries should fall. Let the copiers compete with originators, and the free market will decide who wins. In fact, as uh, Gene the Christian Anarchist pointed out the other day on the phone, uh, when he went to China, and this shocked me. I didn't realize it was like this over there. But when he went to China, they have multi-level malls. And on the first story of the mall, you have all the name brand stores selling the name brand products. On the upper levels of the malls, you actually have rip-off stores selling rip-off versions of the exact same products 
mean, you would think to yourself, why on earth would the name brand stores even want to go into a mall that would allow such competition uh, on their premises? But they do, and they, they're they still in business. Well, the they knockoff manage... ones are crap. That's just it. They, you know, they cut costs. I, I, I was talking recently about how I had ordered some Chinese Transformers recently, and I know to expect to not expect 100% when I'm getting a, a knockoff product. You know that. I mean, you're not paying as much. You shouldn't expect the exact same thing. And sure enough, the products I got, I would say, were about 90%. Um, some of the parts didn't fit together quite correctly. There was, you know, little nubs of plastic that hadn't quite been taken off where they where they should have been. Uh, they They're functional. They work. But they're certainly not up to par with actual Hasbro brand transformer quality. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of knew exactly what to expect, and that's that's what I got. You know, I, I think that um, there's a there's a great deal of people in the market that will buy something that is, uh, you know, more original. Um, the, it's, it's the one that counts. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you're talking about things that, uh, you know, especially in the, the cases of computers where you're replica- replicating things exactly, there is no original versus um, a copy when it comes to listening to a song. There may very well be an original CD, but that's, it doesn't matter in the playing of that song. Mm-hmm. Like so, for instance, um, a more I, what I would like to see in this uh, in, in this China example is a little kiosk where you can take your MP3 player and have uh, whatever songs you want just loaded right up on onto it for a penny, uh, you know, a dime a piece. You know, mm-hmm. the, you pay for the person's labor or whatever, whatever they want to charge for it. I don't know. Okay. Um, and you know, the artists get none of that. And, and you know, then I'd like to see how that affects the marketplace, if that proliferates around the world and, you know, how that affects music. It sure would be interesting. I uh, My prediction would be that, uh, you know, certain artists would drop out because they're the ones that are, you know, in search of the sweet record label deals and all of the things that, that Maybe used, the best to, ones. used to go on. Uh, that's not necessarily the case, it's not Mark. Necessarily uh, in true. fact, Maybe. I would argue that it's absolutely not the case. In many cases, mediocre artists are promoted. The ones that are attractive and pretty uh, tend to be promoted. And look at pop music, for instance. A lot of it's just dreck, just uh, absolute derivative crap. Britney and Spears is a musical genius. It, yeah, it sells because <laughs> Britney Spears uh, doesn't mind oh. flashing her breasts to a camera. That's what that breasts. <laughs> Up until right now, I didn't have a brain cell in my head devoted to Britney Spears. <laughs> so, um, so, I'd like to use an intellectual property argument on you. Uh, you've, you've pretty much made your point on that. I'd like to use a pretty, um, an intellectual property argument on you that might be a little different than what you and I have discussed in the past. Now, you and I have discussed um, perhaps somebody, a station owner out there is uh, decides they want to take Free Talk Live, and they don't want to use the commercials that we have inside of our airwaves. Right, as they are supposed to. Right, they're, they're supposed to, that's the way the contract works, that kind right. of thing. And, um, you know, why don't you say what you, what you think about the, that idea? That would be unfortunate. That would be, yeah, unfortunate. Suppose you have a contract in a city with somebody, um, you know, to air the, you know, say Traverse City, your new, uh, your new affiliate that mm-hmm. you just brought mm-hmm. on. Suppose uh, the, the station across the street decides to put Free Talk Live on in Traverse City, and they take out all the commercials um, that, that, you know, they're supposed to play, so therefore they can make more money um, than the uh, I think Rick Stone from Stone Broadcasting would have a very good case. He would have a good case mm-hmm. because of intellectual property. Uh, well, you know what? That would be... It's fine as long as somebody else enforces intellectual property. 
Oh, I see. It's okay if Rick Stone uses the uh, um, guns of government, but not even you're too good for that. Well, they don't have an agreement with uh, with Free Talk Live, and Rick Stone does. So yes. whether or not there's intellectual property laws wouldn't necessarily um, invalidate contract law. Wouldn't invest. It wouldn't invalidate uh, contracts between individuals. But what, what what kind of contract can you possibly have if there is no intellectual property? They're not doing anything wrong. You don't own it. You don't own what they're putting on the air because there is no intellectual property. Right, but we do have exclusive agreements with our affiliates that say that they have right. uh, so exclusivity ex- in that marketplace. So you're, uh, yes, you can make that agreement if you'd like, but you don't own the material mm-hmm. that's being um, broadcast. Otherwise. I understand that, but my point would be that in the event of such a situation, an arbitration court would rule in favor of the uh, the person with the signed agreement and rule against the the competing station. I understand that you're talking about an arbitration court, but how would how would an arbitration court um rule against somebody who's not doing anything wrong? They're not stealing anything. Well, they're violating uh they're a violating contract a contract they didn't sign. How can they violate a contract they didn't sign, Ian? Well, first I of mean, all, that's your that's your argument against government entirely. I didn't well, okay. sign a contract. You know what? You want to go? All right. You want to get real technical? Then we can get technical. The marketplace has come up with a solution, and that is the uh, Star Guide three receivers have lockout codes, and uh, the the satellite provider companies can authorize and deauthorize receivers at their whim. Well, you would. Um, we also have a live stream that goes out, so maybe they air it. Um, you know, twenty seconds later. Mm-hmm. Again, Mark, you know what are you going to do? Um, you got to compete. You, if that's how it, if that's how it's going to be, and arbitration courts don't care about contracts, then uh, it would seem to me that arbitrators would care about contracts. But because the arbitrators can't the do arbit- anything; they're not stealing anything. The arbitrators can absolutely rule against the person who is taking a program and airing it in a marketplace where there's supposed to be exclusivity according to an existing agreement. If there's no existing agreement in that marketplace, then I could see that there'd be, you know, it'd be tough to make a move. But then again, we wouldn't care to make a move because somebody would be airing our show, and that'd be better than nothing. I think I've made my point on this one. I guess you have. Moral arguments aside, the practical matter of the fact is there are there are plenty of industries. This is back to Daniel's email that stem from the creative process, which get by just fine without the so-called protection of copyright. Bands do concerts, weddings and parties need photographers and DJs, singers sell t-shirts, and yes, they would still be able to sell CDs, even in the absence of government coercion. (laughs) He would put Ansel Adams at the local uh, bar mitzvah. There's no reason to believe that if we legalized copying tomorrow that every last customer would flock to BitTorrent and endure the hassles of online downloading just to save a few bucks. And and But, but you know, if you make it legal legal, then uh, there's going to be all kinds of sites that, that it's not the hassles of uh, downloading uh, from BitTorrent that'll be very easy. It'll be as easy as iTunes. Mm-hmm. I admit that prices would go down to compete, and books and films and music that it were that previously operate were previously operating on a razor thin profit margin would cease to exist. But no one ever said freedom would be easy, and the market would adapt and provide us with whole new worlds of artistic media in the pursuit of profit. All of this is moot anyway. Copying isn't going anywhere. Where whether the market is free or unfree, it's going to move away from types of media that are prone to being copied and toward media which will generate a continuing stream of income: subscription-based services, copy-protected discs, live performances, tangible goods, etc. He says the solace I take when listening to the copyright supporters is that regardless of how loud they scream, my camp will win in the end. Freedom will win in this area, at least. More on the way. You can take control, and I'll try to think a little bit more about the radio situation coming up. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, and it's your show. You can bring up anything toll-free at 800-259-9231, the SACL-CAI toll-free line, but only moments remain, so if you want to get your call in, you should make it now. It's Ian here with you. And Wayne? 
And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. Join us online, freetalklive.com. All the features for free. We do ask, though, that you voluntarily support us by going over and voting for the show. Head over to vote.freetalklive.com to cast your electronic ballot for Free Talk Live. It helps us out because the more votes we have, the higher rank, uh, the higher ranked we are at podcastalley.com. And right now, we happen to be number one. That's pretty good, but the number two show isn't far behind, and sure so isn't. we need to keep up the momentum, continue to roll in the votes. So if you've yet to vote in the month of May, please go now to vote.freetalklive.com. It'll only take you a moment. And then once you're done with that, dig the show if you haven't done that in a couple of weeks, or if you haven't, uh, rather, you can only dig the show once, but um, you need to lock in your dig by digging something else on their, on their website. So Every you can, couple of weeks. You could dig one of our episodes. If you just go mm. to dig.freetalklive.com and click dig it under one of our episodes, it keeps your dig locked in. On our main, uh, the main entry. So, oh, I do. Uh, there's a couple of other podcasts that I, I listen to and, and like. So I, you know, search through them, like Dan Carlin and mm-hmm. uh, Red Bar Radio. So you know, kind of cycle through them. That right, way. but you can only dig the podcast one time for any podcast, and, and then you have to dig something else in order to lock it in. So uh, dig dot freetalklive dot com dig and vote dot freetalklive dot com. All right, so 800-259-9231, we're talking about intellectual property yet again, and Mark, you, you, you threw out a pretty challenging issue, and that was uh, with this theoretical radio station conflict. Mm-hmm. You said that, okay... A very unlikely one. If Free Talk Live has an existing radio affiliate, say, in Traverse City, Michigan, uh, and then somebody else decides to put their radio station on the air and pick up Free Talk Live as well from our internet stream and, mm-hmm. and rebroadcast that and override all of our commercials, then what could be done about that? And I suggested that, well, a a court of arbitration could very well rule in favor of our existing affiliate. Um, Would that mandate that that other person take his transmitter off the air? No. It would be, you know, a voluntary sort of a solution where that person, in order to save their save face, would would abide by the court's decision. But if they chose to do that, they clearly didn't care about saving face anyway. Probably right. And, of course, why they would choose to do that, I'm not really too sure. Uh, For instance... In a marketplace where you want to compete with someone else, why you'd want to put the same exact show that that other person has on their station well, I, doesn't make much sense to I me. Understand, I understand what you're saying. So that's but, why you say it was unlikely that that well, would ever it's happen? It's unlikely because of uh, the popularity of our show, but try to imagine Mr. Limbaugh. For instance, mm-hmm. um, you know he's he'd be a great one to uh, put on and and compete with. You know you've uh, I don't know um, how it is, but say Limbaugh's uh, he's he's a pretty loyal guy. He would be uh, likely to be on in the uh, the smaller. You know he he would likely to stick around with a station that was smaller in a marketplace. I don't know about that. Limbaugh's not in charge of his affiliate relations department, and Premier Radio Networks is. He's and claimed I would guess that he's claimed um, in the past that he tries to stick with the station. That's that, good. Um, that that you know brought that got him originally. I'd claim that too if I were Rush Limbaugh. It, it, it's a good thing to claim. Um, and now that we've called him a liar on the air, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but if let's say that there's another station across town that has more wattage, they feel like they, oh, we can really get us some mileage out of this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's not like he owns it. So we'll just put Limbaugh on the air. We'll fill in with our commercials. And, and then in the world that you're talking about, what's to stop any station from fill, you know, taking any program and filling in? You you're know? right. It's a tough issue. And I would say that if that started to become a widespread thing, if it started to become a problem to where, uh, to where radio shows were, were losing advertisers as a result of it mm-hmm. or you know, their, their income were, were, was suffering, 
then they would just have to come up with some sort of alternative way, like product placement, uh, product integration, more live reads on air, well, that sort of you're thing. You're talking about the commercial issue. Uh, the reason I explained with the commercials and taking out the ads and inserting their own ads, mm-hmm. the reason I did that was to cause you pain because that causes you pain and that causes us pain here on yes. the air. It's our commercial. It's our you know our national ads that pay our paychecks. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas. What's going to hurt the local station is the the fact that we are on the air, period, on some other station, and they can't do anything about it. Sure, absolutely. You know, it might be the death of syndicated radio. I mean, if that became uh, so widespread, then... It seems to me like, I mean, I don't know, baby, bathwater, ever heard of this uh, It seems to me before? that you're afraid of freedom, and uh, <laughs> you come up with the most obscure and absur- absurd examples but to I did uh, make defend ex- government I intervention. But I did make the example of Rush Limbaugh, who is not obscure or absurd, and it's not obscure or absurd that somebody else would try to put him on the air. He's that popular. So I totally understand, which in in which case you'd have to rely on local arbitrators to uh, to rule in your favor. The arbitrator it doesn't have any force behind them. That's right, because it's not nice to use force on people. Mark, it is who not nice. To, it's not nice to steal people's stuff either. Right, which is why that you hopefully would be a respectable business owner and would abide by the arbitrator's decision in order to save your good name. Well, what I'm saying is, is you would be behind. Who wants to do business You would be behind a, a business scumbag. owner who who um you know defended his property uh, with a gun, uh, you know, you'd be behind him from 100%. From someone using force on that person, right. sure. Uh, you know, but it was from, from somebody stealing from them, but if somebody mm-hmm. steals their quote-unquote intellectual property, you wouldn't do anything about it. If, if they stole a toothpick right, out, out of a pizza parlor, you'd say it was okay for the, um, you know, the pizza pie man to go out there and smoke them in the street. Because it's not stealing. You know, if but I really cared, if, if I'd you, restrict the internet access on the streams, too, you know, if I really cared. And, and, and at which point, then, um, then it suffers because we have no live stream listeners. Hey, you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles. Competitions is a bitch, you know? 800-259-9231. Let's continue with the calls and go to Paul in Arizona. You're on Free Talk Live, Paul. Hello. Hey, how you guys doing? What's on your mind, Paul? Uh, I was just hearing you guys talk about intellectual property. Oh, I love um, it. And I guess, and I guess it can also uh, can, uh, pertain to uh, domain names uh, and website stuff also. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There's a fine law, like line and all that. Um, I've actually been sued by uh, Microsoft, uh, Amazon, and Monster.com. Wow. Why? Um, and it's kind of more of a uh, just a statement that they can't own every domain name out there. Um, for example, um, I, uh, I owned AmazonBooks.net, mm-hmm. and I was actually selling uh, books on uh, the Amazon, like travel guides to the Amazon and uh related stuff like that. Right. Um, and uh, it was more of just kind of like, a, I, was, I was just kind of making a statement. I don't believe that they can uh, own everything out there, but um, I ended up going through a two-year battle with them. They ended up suing me for $600,000 in the district court, and uh, I represented myself because of my knowledge of intellectual property and trade. Right. Uh, so what trademark. happened? Uh, the, the judge found in favor of me. Um, oh, great. But through... But through Whipple Panel, I don't know if you know what that is. That, that, that's uh, the arbitrators that you guys were just talking about, but it's a little different probably in uh, regular uh, intellectual property. I don't know what that is. Uh, Whipple Panel? It, it, yeah, yeah, it's uh, WIPO. You might want to check it out. They're, they're the ones that pretty much control the Internet. Uh, the W3C, they're an uh, organization of them. The stan- they're the standards uh, organization? The W3C? Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's the Whipple panel. So, like, say, uh, say you think that uh, a domain name belongs to you, and then that person says, "No, it belongs to me." Or for domain squatters, you pay fifteen hundred dollars to the Whipple panel. Uh, I believe they're over in Switzerland, and then uh, you can pay per uh, panelist. It's fifteen hundred dollars a panelist. Uh, each side presents its case. Uh, usually, you have a lawyer prepare yours. Uh, and all three of mine, um, I, I uh, prepared my own. Um, I won against Monster. Um, Monster.com didn't like me because uh, if you search for Monster Jobs or Monster Job on the Internet, um, I used to be uh, number one on every search engine because I do uh, search engine optimization for sure. a living. It was, and uh, it was more just to kind of mess with them. Um, recent battles I've had, which are more serious, um, this was in Yahoo News and uh, some other things. I own uh, the domain names uh, Scientology.com uh, <laughs> and, and also uh, StopScientology.com. And uh, I've uh, Scientology's lawyers that take, they get paid about thirty thousand dollars a year. Sure. They're uh, very uh, yeah, they they work them to death. And uh, so, did you win against but, the Church uh, yeah. of Scientology too? Yeah. Good yeah, for you. You can, yeah, you can actually read on my uh, on my page. They've come after me seven times. Wow! Um, I think they throw in, in the towel. Time. Yeah, I've had to change web hosting about ten different times uh, because the, the host a, will stop. They'll get a cease and desist, and they'll just cut it out. Yeah, what it comes, yeah, exactly. What it what it comes down to is uh, Yahoo, uh, regular like big corporate companies um, are pretty much. They're wussies. I mean, if they get any kind of cease and desist thing, right. not, not not me. They don't get cease and desist, but they say, hey, your your guy has uh, stuff that uh, violates our trademark under you know whatever section, and they mm -hmm. can quote anything. And Yahoo's not gonna uh, <laughs> you know battle for me. Um, so they just go, yeah, your account suspended. Sure, they don't um, want to take it after, but right, yeah, they don't want to take any kind of risk. There's no need to. And luckily, I found a guy uh, out of California. Congratulations who, uh, on being able to stand up to the big guys, because usually uh, the law puts the favor in their corner. And thank you for the call. We're out of time. It's Vinny in here with you, and Wayne and Mark. As the intellectual property discussion continues here on Free Talk Live, we'll join you again tomorrow night. You can join us online in the meantime at freetalklive.com. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronics, photo, cell phone, office product, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supplies, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, a great deal, delivery to your door, and a percentage of your purchase will go to Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon through Amazon.freetalklive.com.